All right, anybody need to take a break? I'm actually good. I had to go to the bathroom there, <laughs> and I already did. So See, it's that's funny. I also had to go to the bathroom, too, but I didn't get up, so, you know. <laughs> Wow, and that's why you're that's why you're not allowed to keep that apartment anymore. Pooptalk dot com. Ah, god damn it! <laughs> so I, I, since this is we're clearly in the uh, part that is going to get edited out after poopsock dot com. Jesus. <laughs> Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that wonders if we've finally found the root of the problem, but we don't know until we talk about it. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And this episode, we're going to be kind of going back to a topic from a few weeks ago, which was, is 40k too complex? And especially in regards to an article posted, kind of an opinion piece posted on Frontline Gaming, where they think they may have uncovered the reason and and come up with a relatively simple fix for it, but we'll see if that's really the issue. Uh, But before that, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And uh, we've had a lot that has come down the pipe since our last uh, recording session. And always to uh, make... Dennis Happy, we're going to be on Voton Watch today with a couple of things they announced. Um, Something that we had kind of mused about as we were recording last episode, and then between recording and editing, it got announced. And that was uh, the uh, Voton Exo Armor. Yeah, it's just, I mean, bigger armor. It makes it look like a rounder, just not as crazy as the old ones, which I'm thankful for. Um, But... (laughs) I don't know. It, it just seems normal. It seems fitting. I, I don't know what's really much else to say about it. it. It's like it's a good generic sci-fi, uh, you know, power armor suit with a little bit of like that faux dwarven like runic work yeah, in it. I, it. It just looks like it fits in. I think not having anything to say about it is actually kind of a compliment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't look bad by any means. It's- yeah. And I kind of like the idea of Games Workshop doing some models that don't feel amazingly overdone, you know? Especially mm. after all the chaos releases they do we that. just have. <laughs> does, does GW still do that? I think they, like, everything Can has they to do be subtle? <laughs> yeah. I think subtlety went out the window a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then the other thing that just got announced uh, this past week was the um, the Sagittar ATV, the bubble the bubble buggy. I think it also looks cool. Although I I do have my queries. Well, I, I want to see the rules on it of how they said you can have two of them and have your squad split into both of them, and then. They comes together when they leave the vehicles. I mean, that's really cool, but I'm I'm just wondering, like, what happens if one vehicle explodes? What happens 
can they go out of coherency or is this a squad of two that has to stay that way? Uh, I just have questions. <laughs> yeah. Or are they, are, is it combat combat squatting the way like space Marines do where you take a squad and you could put it in instead of like having the squad pot split into two, when it gets out of a transport, could you combat squad it when you embark it in the transport and then they can go off their separate ways? Yeah. It's, it, it's an interesting question there. Although I will say like, yeah, I you know if even if they can split off on their own, they are definitely uh, geared up for it with all the weapon options they've got. So yeah, I'm I'm, di- no, I, I'm digging how it's equipped. Yes, and I mean it just feels like a normal transport. So so I don't know. As we talk out loud, I, I am thinking it might just be it's a squad of two, and it holds each holds half of a of a troop or not troop but an infantry squad, and they have mm-hmm. to stay in coherency. So then that way the troops can always get out and then be one squad again. Mm-hmm. That's probably the simplest way for it. Most likely. But they they keep rolling out more and more Voton previews, which is making me still think like September, October. Yeah, probably I'm, closer I'm to there October. With you. Uh, I, I still would love to see the giant robot because they got to have a giant robot. Oh, they're going to have... I mean, they've they've <laughs> talked about how they, like, they most likely have, if not giant, like, titan size or knight size, they probably have something that's a good, like, redemptor dread size. Yeah, I, I was more hoping a knight... Oh, and I want it better than an Eldar knight, because I'm sorry, Wraith knights are not comparable. Still not good. <laughs> no, still not good. And uh, we know that it's not going to be the next Codex, because that has been announced, and that is going to be... Codex Chaos Demons. Demons um, will finally get their uh, ninth edition update. And I'm actually looking forward to it. Mostly so I don't have to go through book after book or pamphlet to have all the rules for my Slanesh Demons. <laughs> <laughs> They'll all be in one place for once. Yep. Once, uh, uh, okay. once we get Demons and Guard, is that all of the codexes that'll be updated for 8th edition? Yes. Or for yeah, 8th edition? Demon, Demons and Guard are the last two at this point. Yeah. My, you know, minus some things like, uh, like, let's see, Inquisition's been reprinted in one of the campaign books they've done. We still mm-hmm. don't have, um, Assassins haven't been put in a 9th edition book. They're in a Psychic Awakening book, and we don't have oh a 9th edition printing of them yet. So that's we still need Inquisition and Assassins. Well, Man, what could we do to put Inquis- Inquisitions and Assassins <laughs> together in one book? I mean, hmm? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's any. There's like, no way to like, do it. Like they could be like agents of of something. <laughs> so actually, what what I really like. So I've been uh, I've been watching a bunch of uh, old like. Retro Hammer reviews on YouTube. There's a couple of YouTube channels that do like series about like just old codex reviews. And, uh, the first one they talked about was the, the, the leaflet that was the third edition Assassin's Codex that was like 10 pages or whatever. Honestly, I think it'd be funny to do something like that again where it's like, was, was that Snipe your- and Wib? Yeah, yeah. 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 Snipe and Wib are fantastic. It's I love them. Such a good channel. But like, um, yeah, like I would love to be like, here we go. Here's a printed binded codex that's ten pages long, sixty dollars. <laughs> mm, yeah, I don't like that. That's that about. That, that, no, that's <laughs> that tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, didn't, no, didn't it, they print assassins in in a white dwarf 
more recently than than the Psychic uh, Awakening book. Maybe I don't, I don't know. That's a good question. Now I have now as far as like Chaos Demons, I have heard rumors that there's a new Warp Storm table that they're bringing that back. Which Yay. they really didn't need to. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'll be of two minds. For for me, I remember the Warp Storm table was cool in the fact that it was my shooting phase. Because um, demons don't have guns. Shooting phase, for the most part, is not there. Other than, like, Soul Grinder, Demon Prince, or something like that. So, yes, it was a pain because it's another table you have to track and do. But the flip side, it, it kind of was what gave me shooting and what when it went away is when i had to then look to putting havocs and knights in my slanesh army just to try and give it some shooting although from my little playtesting thing oh, the demons do just fine without shooting because they're just massive right the named ones the little demonettes don't they just fold like paper <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so this will be inter- and bellicor has been rolled into it so he won't need to be you won't have to reference a campaign book to get access to him anymore either so yeah maybe, I, I maybe mean, a warp storm table would be like a fun thing for crusade play i uh, yeah, yeah i think that'd be it'd be fine for crusade play but given what they've done with other codexes i would not be surprised if they make it a key component of competitive play just got got yeah. that feeling yeah so, uh, Richard, there was a White Dwarf Assassin's update in March of 2019. <laughs> right. So, still so. a while off, but... <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I get like to that, I'm like, ah, 2019, that's not... All- oh, God, that was three years ago. Ooh. That was an 8th edition, too. <laughs> yeah, it all... It, time means nothing anymore. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's 2020 and then 2020 and 20. We're still in 2020 as far as I'm concerned. It's just <laughs> that feels right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I saw saw a meme the other day that's like, yeah, 2020, the last like four years, and then like 10 years ago stretches from like 2016 to like 96. I'm like, yeah, that, right. that's fair. <laughs> that tracks. Uh, uh, sp- and speaking of of demons, we got uh, well. There had been a potato cam leak of this model, and then uh, Games Workshop, in traditional fashion, meaning they probably leaked the potato cam document because they had an article and video ready to go. So, I mean, yeah. you can you can guess that. I mean, potato cam, I think, is just you know priming the hype engine there they i think they do it but uh yeah angron we now know what angron is going to look like when the world eaters codex is beast he's he's huge no i it he's it's literally everything i expected like but it he just looks good like it's i love that he's like kind of like hunched over like he's still huge and he's still going to be probably as tall as the other demon primarchs but he's like kind of like hunched over like oof that's He's, he's, yeah, he's going to be brutal. I love it. <laughs> and, and it's a nice uh, transition from his Primark model, like his yep. his Horse Heresy Primark model. So, because it has a lot of the same, like, elements in the armor and everything. So, it's like they've mm-hmm. made sure to keep that design consistent. But at the same time, he doesn't just look like another blood letter. 
you know, or bloodthirster. Yeah. He doesn't, he, he is Cornish, Cornate, I guess would be the right term. He's Cornate, no, but he Cornish. is not. He's Cornish. 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 <laughs> uh, but he, he doesn't, he looks unique. He looks like an, an individual rather than just like yeah. generic corn demon prince thing. So. No, he looks, he looks epic. It's, uh, yeah, very cool. <laughs> yeah. And of course, still rocking uh, Gore Father there. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited. Like, I know it's probably just them, you know, doing the, the hype engine stuff to get, you know, people excited for the release. But uh, yeah, it's working, so I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. And then we had, um, they did a, like, a skirmish game or boxed game preview day on July 10th and one of the things they had they had been kind of teasing that uh, Kill Team was going to be moving into Space Hulks and so immediately everyone went oh so they're re-releasing Space Hulk but as a Kill Team box and like okay so we'll have Terminators and Gene Steelers in in Kill Team and it turns out no that is not what it is at all It is yes it is going to be on a Space Hulk but it is not the traditional forces we think of when we think Space Hulk. Instead, it is a unit of Imperial Navy breachers, which I imagine will have to be put into some sort of generic agents of some space empire book eventually. And uh, Kroot. We get, like, unique Kroot. Wait, but Space Hulks have no forests on them. True, so they won't have stealth. You know, they they won't have any bo- any cover. But uh. now, these these crew ate some uh, ate the brains of some gene stealers, so they they now get cover in space hulks too. <laughs> <laughs> Crude have weird lore. <laughs> they they do they do. I, I mean, is it really that much weirder than than space marines with their? Like weird exoskeletony, like membrane and shooting acid out of their mouth and and eating brains. Also, <laughs> I know I know you're making a point, but I'm still going to go ahead and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do like the models, though, for the crew, like the 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 new sculpts. Like I, I like the. Uh, they still haven't trained Kroot how to use a pulse rifle properly because every every Kroot carnivore like or, uh, leader that that has a pulse rifle is holding it like wrong by the middle, holding it <laughs> yeah, up right like they're going to club someone with it. Like, I mean, well, that's what you do in melee, right? I mean, it is essentially what the Tau Fire Warriors do in melee, which I would not take melee advice from them. <laughs> I do like the cool like bowcaster one that that the uh, that they have in here too. Like there's there's some really cool models in this, right? And with finally a plastic crude hound, we've right. never had one of those before, so that's cool. That's that's um, yeah. And the the navy breachers look really good. Yeah, like they're just a, a very different aesthetic than most of the Imperium armies we've seen so far. Uh, oh, good luck making a whole army out of them. Because it's, you know, yeah. we've seen three models. It'll be a box of like six to ten, and it'll be like 65 bucks, you know, when they, the unit comes f- out by itself. 
they feel like a very interesting mix of like Arbitas and uh the uh Rogue Trader like um oh what were they called? The Star Striders from the right. from like the Kill Team box a few years ago. Like they're really cool models. Um I like the slab shields, I like the shotguns, I like the the helmets and stuff. Like they do look very cool, but yeah, I, I they even kind of mentioned that this isn't really going to be like a full faction because you know, they they don't really fight in the open battlefields. Like they they do specialist actions and stuff like that. So, right. They're like yeah, it seems like kill teams a good place for them, but uh the models do look cool. Mhm. And apparently, like, the boards are going to allow you to set up, like, corridors and, and narrow lines of sight. So I'm wondering if it, either this is going to be like the boards they used to have for Kill Team, where the walls were just kind of drawn on the on the board, or if it's going to be more of a Space Hulk style or Black uh, Blackstone Fortress style. You have corridor pieces, and you make a map that is roughly the right size for a kill team. So that's the biggest question that I have, and I and I that's the thing I'm kind of most interested with this is like what terrain they come out with. Looking at the still images, which granted studio stills com- could be completely different, it looks like it's all plastic terrain. Like it looks like it's plastic flooring. It looks like it's plastic walls. Like. If that's actually the case, and they wind up with, say, like, a a version of, like, a Plastic Zone Mortalis set, that would be amazing. Yeah, and the Zone Mortalis stuff that they ended up re-releasing for uh, as Necromunda terrain looks really good. It is very expensive, like Zone Mortalis mm. stuff has always been, to, you know, build, like... Again, like for a kill team size table, it wouldn't be too bad because yeah. it's like twenty two by thirty. It's like it's it's not bad at all. But for again, if you wanted to do something of a higher scale, and so maybe it is best that that stays for like a kill team or Necromunda, where you're not necessarily doing like a full four by six or forty four yeah. by sixty board or any whatever. Yeah. So now it's I, I'm interested to see more about it. And I and I do like that they kind of bucked expectations and did something completely unexpected. Now it's I'm I'm inter- I don't play Kill Team. I love the models, but I haven't. I don't know if the rules have really caught on all that much. Looking at Kill Team rules, they seem a little bit unnecessarily complicated, just for the sake of complication like with the fact that all the measurements are done in geometric symbols rather than in just inches <laughs> which would be easier but yeah there's some choices they made that are a little weird right it's like it feels like there are simpler rule sets they could have used and they just chose not to and I'm not sure why but but then you know like Warcry does its own thing too so you know, there must be an audience for. Obviously, they've kept it going with like seasons, so there must like, I like I said, I don't know people playing it locally, but that doesn't mean it's not successful. It just means it's not catch hasn't caught on in this area. So mm. let's see. And then uh, the let's see, last couple of announcements going into Horse Heresy territory, just because a lot of these models can be used in in regular 
uh, 40k as well. Uh, we like we'd already seen the Leviathan Dreadnought, the ranged version. Now they've announced the Leviathan Dreadnought, Sie- the Siege Dreadnought, the close combat one. And in fact, yeah. that goes will go up for pre-order. Uh, or did it? It hasn't gone up for pre-order yet. I don't think it goes up for. Or did it go up for pre-order yesterday? Yeah, it's up for pre-order now with all the other chaos stuff. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, yeah like pre- that pre-order yesterday. So that will yeah that Leviathan like they put it out right quickly and they did confirm that um, they're going to release uh, arm sprues separately for it so right. you know once once they come out with the the ranged version as well you can then buy one kit buy the arms and be able to swap out and do everything with it so right. I think that's very cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, you know kind of future proofing the purchases a little bit. Like if you want just the dedicated close combat one, or if you want one now, you can get it right now, and it's way cheaper than getting any of the uh, the Forge World like resin equivalents. I mean, it's still eighty bucks for a single dreadnought, but that's still a massive savings over the Forge World. Prices. Yeah, honestly, that's cheaper than I expected it to be. Like uh, honestly, I-, I was expecting it to probably be ten to twenty bucks more expensive. Um, especially the size, because the Leviathan Dreadnought is freaking huge. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm excited for that one. That's that's one I'll probably be picking up. Like the okay, so yeah, the bodies, just the bodies, not including any of the arms for like one of the Legion specific uh, Leviathans, which they only have three still on the site, and only one is still available, and that's the Dark Angels one. The body alone is ninety one bucks, like ninety one fifty. Each of the arms, so like if you want dual siege claws, that's just the claw, the claw arms, no customization or anything. They're 24 bucks a piece. So when you consider like the arms are almost $50 and the bodies were probably like 70 or 80, just the plain ones. Yeah, it's a huge savings. Like it's, it's getting it in plastic makes it so much more approachable mm-hmm. for a- anyone. So, yeah, it's getting more and more of this stuff in plastic, the the uh, Legion agnostic stuff in plastic is is huge. And I think it will actually make horse heresy like it, it will bring people back in who are maybe like they want to play 40K, but they don't want to play current 40K or they just like the the aesthetic of Space Marines against Space Marines. Um it it makes it an extremely approachable game. And for those yeah. people who want to splash the stuff into their 40k armies just for the aesthetics or because, you know, a unit have I think we've moved past the days when uh Leviathan dreads were like, you know, wrecking the competitive scene, but they might make a little bit of a comeback because they'll just be more accessible. So, I mean, they're still good. They're still very yeah. tough. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And then they also announced the uh, Demos Pattern Predator, which, I mean, it's it's a Demos Rhino Pattern body with like the bubble turret and the like the bare side guns. So, you know, fo- following that 40k aesthetic. So if if you want to run a Predator with the old school design, uh, totally totally uh, viable. And then when that kit comes out, so uh, yeah. I mean, just again, more and more of the stuff in plastic. I think more stuff in plastic and way faster than I expected them to release 
all this stuff. Yeah. Because no, like, they've, they they've done the new, like, the full, con- they announced, like, the full Contemptor kit. I think, is that one out already? I, I, uh, no, it is not out yet. So, like, because there's the, there's the Contemptor that's in the big box set, and then yeah. there we're going to release another Contemptor kit that had even more weapon options. And that one is not out yet. But no, I like that they're trying to strike while the iron's hot with that. Like, get... Get people excited for it. Get a lot of this stuff out in plastic, and uh, you know, keep keep the momentum up. I think that's that's going to be huge if they if you know the game is going to be successful. So right. Who and I think other than we know that. Let's see. No, that was the the other things that are going up for. Or let's see. No, they already went up for pre the. Yeah, okay, sorry. So the, and then yeah, the other the, things that went up for pre-order this week were the Chaos Cultists and the Dark Commune. So those new kits uh, are now available for pre-order, along with the Chosen that were in the Elder Showman's box. The same with the Warpsmith is now available. I find it interesting that they have a kit called the Warp Forged, which is the Obliterators and a Venom Crawler together. That seems like an odd choice to bundle, especially since they're yeah. all like monopose. Not quite snap fit, but well, though I think they, well, they're not. I don't know if they're push fit, but you know, it's like there's no customization, no reposes, no recuts, no new obliterator model. Just two in a box with a venom crawler is an odd choice. Yeah, I mean, it kind of it kind of makes sense because, like, from the codex perspective, sure, they're they're le- you know lumped together as warp forged and like. You know, they, they have some common rules and stuff. But yeah, it's it's a weird choice. It's actually not a terrible deal, $70 for... No, the pricing is know. really good. But yeah, it's, it's a weird... It's a weird choice. Because they would have sold those two obliterators for like 50 bucks for the two of them. So Exactly. Like the, yeah, or the, yeah, or so the, it's, it's, the Venom Crawler for 70 bucks because I think that's what the... Uh, oh, the other demon engine that they have that I'm blanking on right now. <laughs> The Forge Fiend, uh, Mahler Fiend, Forge Fiend, or? yeah, Forge Fiend, Mahler Fiend. Thank you. Well, the, like, they're they're noticeably bigger. Like the Venom Crawler is not like, I, but I would have put the Venom Crawler at like Hellbrute prices, which is about like sixty. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's a good deal, but um, it it's weird because we've been hearing like rumors of a of a full Venom Crawler kit since it was released, which I want to say was what 2018 when they released yeah. Shadow Spear. Right. And it's it's surprising mm. that if they do have that, I mean, granted, other things, you know, uh, supposedly they've they've had the uh, new corn berserker sculpts since Karn was released, which was a long time ago. So, right, I get they set on stuff for a while, but yeah, it just seems weird that if they're going to re-release this to re-release the static poses and not do something else. But I don't know, maybe next time they get an update, they'll they'll release. The full kits for Obliterators and Venom Crawler. Now, I am going to do a little bit of hobby progress early, and that is because uh, Games Workshop sent us the kits for the Chaos Cultists and the Dark Commune, and so I actually put them together over the last week or so. Um, And, like, okay, so the Dark Commune, I am not surprised the Dark Commune is just those five models, no customization. I mean, they're... yeah. 
like like in the codex they've got no options like this is what what you get when you buy when you get a dark commune when you put it on the table and they're nice creepy looking models the the mind witch with which is seeing the model more closely uh it is not some like this guy's head is on a pike and then his body is connected to it it's somebody else's body with someone else's head as an extra head mounted on this life support system that he's carrying so that's fun um but i i want to talk a little bit more about the chaos cultists models now on the one hand they match the aesthetic of the blackstone fortress cultists which we've seen we've talked about and that's cool um however the chaos cultists in this box other than like one or two models, because there's a couple of models that you can choose to basically give different heads to be chaos, like chaos cultist leaders. There's like one male and one female that you can make leaders instead of like, or you can make them more generic just by like giving them less fancy helmets, uh, which I do like the fact that you can go like either way with gender on that one. But they like the other options that are in that, in the codex, like, hey, you want to take a flamer or a stubber or a grenade launcher, which is now an option, or do you want to take auto guns on these? Like, like, just do you want them to have them just shooty instead of melee? Tough. You will have to buy the Cultists of the Abyss box that came out for Blackstone Fortress because that's the only place to get the ranged Cultists, and there's like seven of them in the box, and none of them have the flamer. There's the Cultist Firebrand who is on a bigger base who is a separate data sheet from Blackstone Fortress. And the only flamer, like, that is a standard cultized flamer is the one from, like, Dark Vengeance years ago. Like, mm-hmm. that's the only one. And those cultists don't have this, the same aesthetic because they're all, like, in work clothes, like, rebreathers and things like that. So it's, it's not ex- – it's close – but also the proportions are a bit chunkier than these cultists. These cultists are getting like more into like true uh, proportions and such. And so I find it really disappointing that if you want to do shooty cultists, you have to buy like to get a full unit of 10, you have to buy two boxes of cultists of the abyss, which will also give you like, two stubbers and two grenade launchers, but you can only have like one per per 10. So it's, it's so, and then you get two leaders also. So it's like you end up with extra models you can't use. But then in this cultist box, which I will say these models go together very simply. Uh, They're not push fit. You do have to glue them, but they're like the most complex one is four pieces. Uh, one or two of them are like two pieces. They're like real simple models to, to build. But mm-hmm. they are, you know, we've talked about how like, especially with like the kill team models, we have this like duo or trio pose model where it's like there's a court, like a base body. And then depending on what set of equipment you want to give it, you end up with like two or three different models in slightly different poses. Uh, that is not the case with these. You get... Like the models they show you in the preview image, that's what you get. That's that's all you get, other than like two head swaps. It's well, it's an odd choice, and I don't like it. I like the well, models, but I don't like the the lack of customization. Yeah, that's disappointing to hear. Um, and also, I was kind of looking on the website right now. You can still get the Cultists of the Abyss box, 
which mm-hmm. is good. But the, you know, Dark Vengeance cultists, they're not available anymore. Nope. So if you want Stubber or whatever, like... No, Stubber's in the Cultist of the Abyss stubber, box. The, the, it's the, the flamer. flamer. Yeah. Yeah, you just, you don't get it. So yeah, it's in- very interesting. Because the whole point of this was we wanted, like, a multi-part plastic kit for cultists that we had options. And yeah, this is interesting that they chose not to go that route. Okay. So, okay, so the Firebrand is still in the Cultist of the Abyss box. But again, he's like on a much big, he's like on a 32 base mm. instead of a 25. So it, it's an, it's just really odd, odd choices were made with how they decided to make that kit. Now, if they decide to do a 10 person cultists, like shooty cultist box, like add, th- cause it's one, two, three, four, there's seven cultists and the firebrand and the cultists of the abyss box. If mm-hmm. they decide to just do, three different sculpts but even then it's like this isn't you end up with extra models because you can't have both the grenade launcher and the stubber in a group of 10 so it's like you'd have to have a mod like if they had the models where you could choose which option you wanted that would be great yeah. but like these are all again monofo these these specifically are monopose push fit the cultists of the abyss because yeah. they're they were for Blackstone Fortress, which is all push fit stuff. But yeah, yeah weird I, choices. A more recent kit that is a rough like comparison to this would be like the Gene Stealer cults cultists, the like mm-hmm. the neophyte sprues. And I know the way that they did those for the you know the shooty variety is that that option of flamethrower grenade like that's one dude and you can like pick between the those like options and the way it goes together is you know slightly different depending yeah, on and which if they'd had you do. yeah and if they'd had that i would have totally i, I would have been like oh this this kit is nice and well-rounded and is everything I'd want from a Chaos Cultist kit. And I wouldn't even care if they were necessarily, like, mostly monopose if there was just, like, oh, but I can swap some options out and like... Well, and I know that there's options... I know there's options to do that, because in the Sisters uh, Novitiates box, um, those, those... Every one of those options, every one of those models has a... the option to take, like, close combat pistol... Or a ranged weapon, because they all come with mm-hmm. auto guns. Like, you get enough auto guns to make a full 10, you know, 10 woman unit. Like, it's, it's weird because I know they do have the ability to do this. Um, right. Yeah. It's disappointing, but it, it, it is. I, I was, I was kind of disheartened when I, like, I opened it up and it's like, okay, so it's like, it's like a one or two sprue kit. It's like, it's not a complex kit. And I mean the pricing it's it's forty five bucks for for ten models, which the other one is like the Cultures of the Abyss is like thirty three and a half or something for eight. So the pricing is not that far off. Mm-hmm. But it's just like I shouldn't have to buy two distinct kits to get all the options for one unit. That yeah. just seems just weird. Um but yeah, so it's like if you if you just want Close combat cultists. This is a perfectly fine box. 
And I, I do, like, again, I like the new cultist aesthetic and how they're going to carry it into, like, the kits that haven't been released yet for, like, the accursed cultists. So it's like, I, I like that. I just wish I could build any kind of cultist I wanted out of it rather than mm-hmm. just the close combat one. But, yeah, it's... Oh, I, there are a couple of, like... You can make, uh, like, there are weapon swaps, like, you can give the cultist leader, like, a bolt gun rather than an auto pistol. Like, you can give him a bolt pistol instead of an auto pistol. So, like, there's there's a couple of, but that it's, like, it's so minor as far as conversion goes. It, it's not, a, it doesn't change the the overall gear for, for the unit, so. Anyway, just be aware of that. If you want shooty cultists, this is not the box to buy. If you want close combat cultists, yes. Shooty, no. All right. I think that is everything they'll announce later on in the episode when, uh, like, what's coming up for pre-order next week. But uh, until then, let's go over to listener mail. And yes, we thanks to our listeners, we actually have listener mail this time. <sighs> Yay! <laughs> Uh, and yes, these letters are written by you, the listeners. And so if you want to know how you can get your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. Uh, so first off, we have Danny Flavin. And Danny writes, Hello, preferred enemies. After not having a ton of listener mail in the last few podcasts, I've decided I should chip in and do my part. Hope all is well. Since you all inspired me to get back into this crazy hobby a year or so ago, I've started collecting a bunch of different armies. Oh, Oh, you sweet summer child. It's got you hard, doesn't it? I'm a sucker for cool sculpts and end up starting armies based on how much I like the hobby aspect of the faction. Unfortunately, this means my pile of opportunity, a.k.a. shame, has started to grow quite a bit. What strategies do you all use to keep yourselves motivated to build or paint, particularly when life gets pretty busy? Have you all ever tried the slap chop method uh, when painting an army? I've been trying it, but so far I haven't liked how it turns out versus contrast over wraithbone spray. Keep up the good work and can't wait for the next episode. Um, so r- real quick, I will explain what he refer what he means by the slap chop method. There's a couple of videos. Uh, there's a number of videos you can find on YouTube. If you just search for like slap chop miniature painting, you'll see what people are talking about. And it's basically take a model, prime it black, give it a heavy dry brush of white or light gray so that it basically ends up looking kind of like a, a statue with like black in the recesses, but everything else is like gradations of white and then putting contrast paint over that. And it's basically the same thing people do when they do uh, like a Zenithal highlight with airbrushing and then glaze over it with thin paints. It's the same concept just done with a dry brush and contrast paints. Okay. That's a lot better than what I was envisioning. (laughs) Did you actually like imagine somebody using the slap chop device? Oh yeah. Just, Toss a mini in, pour some paint in, hit slap chop to mix it all up, pull it out. I mean, you can't. I don't know. Like it, it might be end up being three colored standard, but I don't know if I would call it battle ready. <laughs> three colored messy. Yeah. <laughs> the Jackson Pollock school of miniature painting, um, but uh, but uh, I mean, it, it. I've again, it's it's one of these things where like you can actually get some pretty decent looks out of a model and only put a few hours into it. But uh, if the aesthetic doesn't work for you, then 
you know, that's that's fine. Everybody's got a, a different look. I will say with some of the newer contrasts where there's not a lot of contrast, Slap Chop actually might end up looking better where you've got like the stronger colors, but you need the tones mm-hmm. underneath to provide shadow. But it would definitely give you more br- more vibrant colors. But as to the main question, how to uh, stay motivated um, when building or painting, uh, sometimes we don't. <laughs> I mean, there there are times when I will spend time doing anything else other than building or painting. And then there are times when I will just do marathons of building and painting, which is probably why afterwards I don't want to do any building or painting for a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I think I'm very similar. Painting, unfortunately, is my least favorite part of the hobby. So it normally takes a tournament like needs painted minis that then I, I will go on a rush and paint everything but i say everything in air quotes of everything that's required for that army because i like acknowledge for my sister's army i have sister's models that i got at the same time as all the other ones but since they weren't required for the army they did not get painted so they're in my they've been built they've been primed but they're just waiting for the paint and so and even like i guess i'll do my air quote hobby progress that i'll repeat later I've picked up two new vehicle kits for the Eldar, because uh, they were back in stock from GW. And I have not put them together yet. And I, I want to. I will. It just It's just finding the time, and it'll be more of a thing of when I get to it, when it'll happen. And I'm not concerned, because I know I'll get to it. I mean, I'm moving. I'm moving right now, so I have no motivation to do any of this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I tend to do the same thing where I'm like, I I focus on like, what do I need for an event, and that's that's not uncommon. Um, there will be times when I like, I will just like a project will pop into my mind, and I want to do it, but I also have a lot of hobby ADHD. And being gifted with a 3D printer has not helped that, by the way. Because <laughs> I've got so many things mm. I can print. I can give oh, myself yeah. all the models to put on my pile of shame that I don't that, get to. That is definitely a new rabbit hole I'm glad I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then of course, Games Workshop providing us models to review just adds more more things to the pile to to figure out what I need to do with. Because, like, I want to do stuff with the cultist models. You know, despite the critique of them, I do like the models themselves. And, like, I have, like, Trader Guard models from the Kill Team Morok box. I, like, I want to I build my Trader Guard army. And it's like, oh, but then I also have, like, I've got Death Guard on my painting table that I want to finish up because Death Guard may be an army that I take to the Crusade tournament. And Blood Angels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I got my blood angels to work on. Yeah. No. Yeah. I was. I was just inventorying them yesterday for something I'm working on, and so it's like mm-hmm. uh, I. I. I have the motivation to do all these things, but it. You know, part of it is just finding the time, and I do think find a one thing that does help is uh, bouncing back and forth between building and painting. Like it's really easy to get burned out if you're just. Painting, 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 painting. And and we've talked about in the past, like, looking at a whole army and trying to paint it in one go is the, a sure path to burnout. So if you can instead, like, build a unit, paint a unit, build another unit, paint that unit. And 
because then you're you're also switching activities because building triggers a different like joy center in the brain at least for me and i know like there's a lot of people who do love building more than painting mm-hmm. me <laughs> yeah <laughs> like right now it's like i've had death guard terminators on my painting table and i've been working on them getting like all the the details painted in before i put wash on them and i'm trying to decide like do i want to paint all the details before i apply agrax earth shade or do i want to leave some of them undone so that i can after the agrax earth shade is applied i want to apply different paint and then do a different shade on those parts and i haven't decided yet so because I was having a little analysis paralysis, I said, screw it, I'm just going to build some terrain now. And I've been building terrain for the mm-hmm. last couple of days. Because I've had a lot of terrain in my backlog of stuff, too. So, and I've got my, I've set my table back up here for something I'm working on. It's like, I, now I'm going to do, I'm going to make terrain now. Because that is what will keep my brain interested. And having finished a massive army painting project at, you know, by the end of May... I'm just really now coming, and, and I've painted a few like one-off models for 3D printing, just kind of testing how that was going. So just change, like one of the biggest ways for motivation, just change up what you're doing so you're not doing yeah. the same thing over and over again. Yeah, there's a lot of variety in this hobby, so. <laughs> oh, yeah, and sometimes uh, trying, maybe the motivation will be like, hey, I'm going to try a new technique, or I want to try a new color scheme. Like, uh, I've got... Um, like I've got the horse heresy salamanders that I I want to work on, so I need to build them and start like priming and painting them to test out the color scheme. But to actually test it out, I'm going to use the same color scheme on some Stormcast Eternals that I already have built and painted. So I should be able to like I can just start going and seeing how it works, and then then I can switch to building salamanders and then painting salamanders. So it's like I can keep moving back and forth, but then I also have to be careful about that because I have a bunch of sisters of battle that are built and primed and not painted yet. So <laughs> it's, and then other sisters that need rebasing. So it's not letting yourself get too, too many projects open at once, which that is my problem. Like I said, I have hobby ADHD. It's not just a matter of acquiring a bunch of models. It's uh, getting a whole bunch of projects uh, opened and started and then unfinished. And uh, I have a an online tool for tracking it, and it is fearsome. And I don't like looking at it, but I have to do it to remind me of where, where I'm at. <laughs> but yeah, I'd say the biggest motivations is either have an event that you are prepping a particular thing for. Uh, and even if it's like, I have most of this army, but I'm adding a few units, you know, getting those done or alternating back and forth just so you don't get. And sometimes, sometimes the key is to not build or paint. Sometimes you do need to take a break. Like even if it's just for a couple of days, like if you've been painting like every day for like the last five days, take the weekend off or, you know, take a couple of evenings off and just do something completely unhobby related. Even if it like, maybe it's playing a game, like playing 40k or maybe it's like not even going near your models and like just watching a you know watching a movie catching up on a tv show playing a video game just something to to break it up so you don't burn out that's because burnout will burnout will kill your motivation more than anything so those would be the the two things that I, i would recommend to avoid burnout 
All right, next letter is from Daniel Miller. Daniel writes, hi, suggested question for next time. How would you change the bad moon trait to make it worth taking over the more popular orc clan cultures? Uh, More generally, are there any chapter tactics for your armies that you think are particularly not worth taking? Is there anything you think these traits have in common? Uh, In the orc example, my main reason for not taking bad moons is that the plus one to hit from freebooters is always going to be better than the extra range on some weapons. Uh, and to, uh, to uh, clear that up, the uh, Bad Moon Army bonus, which is uh, armed to the teeth, is add six inches of range to DACA and heavy weapons models with this culture. Uh, each time a model with this culture makes a ranged attack on an unmodified wound roll of six, improve the AP by one. So extra range, better chances at AP. That's it. Yeah, now, uh, the I I think you know being a earlier codex like these clans, some of these clan cultures feel a little underwhelming. Um, but like I can also understand you know they didn't orc shooting is something that's just about you know quantity over quality. Right. And so, like, I see a, a design reasoning behind, you know, not wanting to give too good of a bonus to, like, orc shooting, because they shoot a lot and don't hit as much. But, like, every time that you, anytime that you add something to that, like, it just gets multiplied because of, like, the, the sheer volume, right? Right. When you're, when you're talking about just, you want to put an orc shooty list on the table, that's one of those cases where, you know, you need a bucket of dice. So, like, I, I can, I can understand, I can understand why it is the way it is. I, I, I will say that. Um, as far as addressing how to, like, make it better, like, a lot of the, like, the most common and most of the DACA weapons you're going to find are going to have AP zero anyway. And then, you know, Hey, AP one, half the armies out there don't care. Right. <laughs> cause they'll just ignore cause lots of people play space Marines and they just ignore AP one. So like there is that, ends up meaning that this is of zero benefit. So I could see a making a case for maybe just giving them minus one AP all the time and then maybe and then like AP minus two on sixes. I could see that. Let's see. I'm trying to look at the other cultures real quick. Just, just kind of con- compare and contrast because, like, he also mentions the uh, freebooters one. Freebooters is when you kill a one of one of your freebooters units kills an enemy unit. Every other freebooters unit in the army gets plus one to hit for the rest of that f- that phase. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it is good, but it does have a it has a trigger though. It, you know, it's not always on, right? And like something like that would be really bad against like a knight army (laughs) right (laughs) yeah like there are there are going to be some hard counters there um then you like you look some of the others like 
snake bites have the old ways where it's you basically have um transhuman physiology against anything that's less than strength eight. So anything less than strength eight only wounds you on a four up. That's really good. And they get a plus one to wound with squigs <laughs> if they charged. Death skulls get rerolls. They get like free rerolls. And they can ignore mortal wounds. And they the, all their infantry is objective secured. I mean, that's all a very good combination of stuff. So, yeah, these are not yeah. all made the same. Yeah. Um, where what, what you'd also have to look at, though, is you've got to remember that a culture is not just... Like, a clan is not just the culture rule, but there's also going to be, like, the relic, the stratagem that goes with it. Um, and so, so they do sometimes work that in. But... Like, to get to the general question of are there chapter tactics that we think are particularly not worth tanking for individual armies, like, a lot of it comes to play style. Yeah. Because there's some for, like, uh, like Sisters of Battle, for example. I love Bloody Rose. Bloody Rose happens to be very popular right now. Bloody Rose is actually very good for getting into assault. But... Uh, there's uh like Valorous Heart was has been really big for a while as well. Like people and I, it's like it's because let's see Valorous Heart. Make sure I'm remembering it correctly. Let's see order convictions. So let's see. Yeah, because like Bloody Rose is if you charge, we're charged. You heroically intervened. You get an extra attack, and you're. If you charge, we're charged, or Hercules, all your AP is improved by one. That's, like, really good if you're getting into close combat. Uh, Valorous Heart is you ignore mortal wounds on a five up, and wound rolls can't be re-rolled against them. Which, because they used to have the ignore minus one AP, but now that all sisters do that, they ch they changed it up. Um, whereas, like, uh, I think, if I remember right, we weren't all that impressed with like Argent Shroud, which was you count as being stationary if you moved or advanced. And mm -hmm. when you're selected to fight, you can reroll a hit roll or a wound roll, which is still really good. But like you don't see a lot of Argent Shroud, but it's it seems like it's not bad. Or I think there was one maybe the first time they had the Sisters Codex. I don't like I think Argent Shroud was like more motion based. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that when the the eighth edition one that came out. Yeah, the Ardent Shroud just wasn't didn't didn't speak to us. I wouldn't say it's bad. It just didn't speak right. to the way we played. And I think that's the key. To, like, are the, is there anything that that these traits have in common? Um, I don't. I don't think so. Other than it's what like sometimes some abilities synergize with particular builds more like there'll be certain things you look at in the codex and like oh hey yeah if i'm i want to use i want to be like a very aggressive sisters list where i'm going to use like repentia and stuff like of course i'm going to use bloody rose it's made mm -hmm. for melee if i'm going to play a more standoffish clear off objectives and then move up i may not want to take bloody rose in which case like valorous heart or argent shroud might be a a better choice. Um, I, I will say uh, a lot of times when I see the, that, uh, uh, that warlord trait that, or like 
culture that lets you just re-roll a thing. Like you get yeah. you get like one re-roll like per battle round or or something. A lot of times I just kind of ignore those because I'm like, well, if I really need to re-roll something, I had, there's the command point re-roll stratagem. Right. Yeah. Right? So, like, there's other ways to get re-rolls other than, mm-hmm. you know, having your, like, your army have that thing. So, I think that that leans into at least why I kind of will dismiss some, you know, chapter tactics. Yeah. Whereas sometimes I'll look at those and be like, wow, I can save a lot of com- command points by getting that. But you yeah. also have to look at like what armies it's attached to. Like for Death Skulls having it, it's like, well, but I'm already playing orcs. One reroll is not going to make that much difference. Like right. I, if you're rolling a bucket of dice, who cares if you reroll one? Yeah. Well, I guess for me, the ones that I, that I, view as less powerful or the ones that I tend not to, you know, take are the ones that are like very, very specific or situational. And like, granted, I, I know it's not, um, I don't think it's this way anymore, but like, I remember when they first did the, uh, Space Marine chapter tactics and like Iron Fist, or Imperial Fist, Imperial Fist got like plus one again when battling fortifications or something like that. And I'm like, so that's never going to come into play. They've managed right. to avoid doing a lot of those and like still give those factions something to do. But like the ones that are just like, you know, very specific or very situational that just don't come up often, like those tend to be less interesting to me. And and I get why they're there because, you know, fluff wise, this chapter's siege masters or something like that. So, okay, well, let's give them, you know, benefits to that. But it just doesn't come up that often. That's the problem. So, mm-hmm. I, that the ones that I tend to stay away from the ones that seem to be just overly specific or overly situational. Um, right. But again, that's that's personal to me too. So, well, and also a lot of it can come into uh, what you can like, what synergies you can find. Like, because I remember less looking at the Mechanicus one, and it's like. Like Mars was the one where it's like, oh yeah, you get to pick like two can like you can pick two canicles at once or something like that. It's mm-hmm. like and it's like, oh yeah, no, everyone's gonna take this. And it was a very popular choice, but then like Lucius ended up being really, really popular, partially because of how it could stack with other abilities and partially because of the stratagem it opened up. So uh and I've but then there's also people who love like there are players who absolutely love the various chapter tactics that's like, oh, you're minus one to hit me if you're more than 12 inches away. Like, that's been to the point where the Harlequin version had to be nerfed. <laughs> like, the yeah. Light Sadath one had to be, had to get fixed in the balance state of slate because it was too good for them. So, whereas in some cases, I find those to be very boring. They can be very annoying. And it's, I'm thankful that in 8th and ninth edition, at least penalties stack at or like they cap at one (laughs) like you know it can't because i remember some of those that would hit in like seventh edition where it's like oh yeah you're like minus three to hit this thing you don't even bother yeah so a a lot of it is just going to come down to your play style and play style synergies sometimes looking past the individual rule and seeing what else it enables 
Uh, I don't think there like there are chapter tactics that don't ap- appeal to us individually, but not even necessarily the same ones. So I don't think there's anything any of those have in common except for a particular player may not care about that particular style of gameplay. So yeah, I don't like we we def sometimes we do talk about like this is a must take or this is going to be the most popular choice. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's all that that's how it reads to us. But then a lot of times actual play will shake out and it's like, oh no, there's actually other pieces to this that you have to look past that individual rule or even the stratagem that it opens up and see where all what how everything works. Maybe it's the relic that that opens up or the psychic power that you gain for taking that faction. And now we're even reaching the point where some sub-factions have their own secondary objectives for match play. And it's like, oh, no, that would be the reason you take that, because they can score better than anybody else. So just got to keep all those very complex interlocking pieces in mind. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Next up from Chad Allen Nichols. Chad writes, Hi, all. I got a few episodes behind, and I'm currently listening to the Knights episode. It really sounds like GW is trying to discourage use of knights in 40k with the complexity of chivalrous and dread systems. My personal opinion? Games Workshop is regretting making knights available for normal 40k and would like to eliminate them but can't because of popularity and income for the company. Therefore, they're trying to make them unpalatable to play. Keep up the good work! Uh, Dennis, you've actually been taking your knights for a spin in your solo gaming project. Uh, do you want to comment on that? Sure, I... I don't know what to think on that because my first interpretation is yes, it feels like they're making them harder for like to play, but after kind of playing some and then playing against someone who actually had a free blade, free blade lance, um, they play really well and they synergize amongst themselves very well. Um, I do think they need to be armature focused. Because the big knights are okay to be like a big model or a linchpin, but it's really the armagers that carry the weight of the army. Um, and I, I was already starting to think that, and my, the opponent I played had like just two knight, two regular knights, and then like, I think it was five, five armagers? Maybe it was seven, I don't remember. It was a lot of armagers. Um, <laughs> And it worked out really well, and I had no counters for it, uh, just because they, they were fast, they could get to places, and the way the bondsman buffs work, you could just keep the armor giving the armagers the buffs, and the fact that armagers can actually take relics and have the traits as well, you you get a full army out of that. It's complex to get set up. And I guess from how we were used to having the, like the old knights are just this, this is definitely a total change on how knights are. And I think that's what kind of scared me away and probably scared us away on, on that episode. But no, from in, in practice, I do think they work. You just have to come at it as a different mindset. Yeah, and I know for a lot of people, knights are a unfun army to play against. I don't think that part's changed. <laughs> no, it hasn't. It's And we've talked before about how knights are, like, even if they're not the top of the game, they are always a gatekeep army in the sense that if you cannot get past knights, you're going to have a bad time. Because you if you hit a knight army, it can 
derail your entire path in a competitive setting. And even just in casual play, if you do not have an army that is equipped to deal with multiple knights and you play against one, it can lead to some feel-bads. It is not always the most fun game to play, even when you're playing against one of your favorite opponents. Like, honestly, Dennis, (laughs) me playing playing against your knight army... That w- it was a struggle. I thought I had more in that army that in my army that could handle it, and I was shown repeatedly in a couple of games there during the friendly that I was wrong, and it like it made it hard to have fun, really enjoy the game. Well, yeah. No, I, I still enjoyed the games, and I would try to find, like, you know, like we've talked about before, find the little moral victories of, like, well, if I can't win the game, I'm going to do this one thing. Um, and so I would still do that, but it does kind of leave you, like, there's not a lot of targets to go after if you're no. built to, like, deal with infantry, uh, and somebody doesn't bring any infantry. It's not, a, mm-hmm. like, you just end up having the wrong tools for the job, and it it can be unfun to play. But the times I've played with knights or other big things, oh, it's a blast. There's something very freeing. It's like it's you don't have a lot of pieces to to manage. And I think and I, I think we talked about this during our review that you have because you have so many fewer models on the table, you do have more mental bandwidth for tracking more of those systems. Yes. Like it's not as hard to deal with. Whereas if you had yeah, to deal I, with I, that on top of, like, a normal infantry army, it'd be a mess. Yeah, I will totally agree with that statement. So, I, I don't think GW... I, I absolutely don't think GW is regretting making knights available because they wouldn't have put out more varieties of them if they had. <laughs> it's like, we wouldn't see them reboxing the Dominus Knights. We wouldn't see the new Chaos Knight kit options with like psychic knights we wouldn't be seeing all the new uh, war dog options for chaos knights like they wouldn't be pushing that as hard if they thought it was a bad call so i don't think i agree with with your your personal opinion chad i can see why you think that but that and i do think like for me, like it, when I was reading it, it definitely came across as wow, this is way feels like way more complex. But Dennis, you've said a couple of times now that in practice it is not the case. That it's, yeah, it's actually just, not too bad. You have to get used to it. And I mean, and in our review, I think we did say it seemed too complex. So it's probably most people's initial review of how the army is. Right. Uh, and then we have one more letter now from uh, Way Sikorsky. Way writes, Dear my preferred podcast, I originally wrote you a small epic in response to your episode on complexity. However, as fate would have it, I misspelled your email address and it never got sent. Oh, in no. the time since, yeah, it got lost in the warp. In time, time since, I have calmed and things have shifted in the direction for the game as, as of the recent GT release, which uh, talking about like Nephilim. One of the major qualms I understood many to have was the impossibility to know the other faction's rules and interaction. This I found a distinctly competitive problem. The only reason to need to know the workings of other factions is to maximize one's competitive edge or to police others during competition. That's a whole nother hornet's nest of discussions. Uh, As long as you know your rules and the core rules, I think that's enough. And in my view, no army in the game currently holds a complexity level that prevents this. Some may be more straightforward, while others require a read or two. 
to. Uh, to further this, there isn't even much need to know the inner workings of the other sub-factions that are in your codex. Find the one you like and learn that. To me, complexity and flavor go hand in hand. Competitive gaming doesn't need flavor, which is why I'm liking the push from GW to stratify the game types. Uh, Grand Tournament versus Tempest of War versus Crusade should be more distinct. Allow Grand Tournament to water down factions so that competitive play is more accessible. Make Tempest of War the place for pickup games with faction flavor. And finally, Crusade for those deep, slow-cooked flavors and uniqueness of factions can be explored. Now that I've rambled on, this brings me to my tangential question. I'm a new Gene Steeler cult player. I started with the new Codex, and the book was quickly forgotten by content creators and the like. Uh, guilty. Guilty. <laughs> I don't remember uh, game- that. No. Gene <laughs> uh, Steeler Cult rarely makes any splashes at tournaments and is completely glossed over in the data slate and points adjustments. The main comment I hear is... It's a balanced codex. Seems to spell doom for getting content. Thankfully, I have hobby projects to keep up with, and at least I don't ma- I don't main demons. How do you handle times when your chosen main faction is nearly forgotten? No supplements, rules, updates, points, adjustments, or anything to motivate content creation. Many thanks, Way. Um. So I think that we we did mention in our 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 episode about complexity that yeah, complexity and flavor do go hand in hand, and that mm-hmm. it that a lot of the rules we've been seeing have been to that, that make the game more complex are there to give you the feeling that an army plays on the tabletop the way it's described in the fluff. And some armies are able to do that. I think easier than others Uh, like space Marines and chaos space Marines. I think we agreed are actually relatively simple to figure out. The systems they have there aren't all that complex. And I'd say Chaos Space Marines even less so because you don't have like the super doctrines to concern mm-hmm. yourself with. Um, whereas others, like, you know, we talked about how, uh, you know, knights felt like their rules seemed very complex, but in practice, because you're managing fewer models, it's not so bad. But then there's other stuff like, Oh gosh, like I know custodes with katas feel like there's just a lot to manage there. I mean, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I still forget to use the katas for custodes just because I've played them so long without. And mm-hmm. when I do remember them, I look at them, I'm like, oh, well, this isn't relevant for this game at this time, so it doesn't matter. And then I get that thing in my head of, well, this doesn't matter, so I stop checking them. So I would miss out on a time when the one or two times it might actually prove useful in a game. So, mm. but yeah, it's like we've, we've looked at the possibility, like, well, what if you played a system that had all that complexity stripped out, such as something like a one page rules type system. And I think we came to the feeling like that might be swinging too far and stripping all the flavor out. Um, I do like Way's point about like having Tempest of War as its own subsection of like match play. Like mm-hmm. the Grand Tournament packet for, although I would say the Grand Tournament doesn't do anything to water down gameplay. If anything, like it's ramped up different things and added its own levels of complexity. Uh, but get, you know, Grand Tournament versus Tempest versus Crusade. Uh, you know, Crusade is. Very can be very complex, but again, because you're playing at a, a much lower stakes, and the flavor is the point of Crusade, um, 
yeah, it's totally fine with the, the, the complex systems going there. And that's why, like, we mentioned the Warp Storm table earlier, Kevin. You're like, the Warp Storm table, or was it was it Kevin or Richard? I can't remember who said the Warp Storm table should be a Crusade-only thing. That was me. Maybe. Yeah, yeah was I was going to say, I thought it was yeah. Richard. Yeah, saying, like, yeah, having the Warp Storm table as a complexity that only needs to matter for Crusade play seems that like that seems like it'd be a perfect fit in grand tournament play. It seems like it could be a mess. Um, now, as far as the, what happens when your, uh, chosen main faction is nearly forgotten. Um, sometimes, I mean, it depends. Sometimes our main faction changes over time. Mine was Tau for a very long time. And then Tau and, I played Tau in 8th edition and then Tau came out and I tried it in 9th edition. I'm like, I'm going to play something else because this sucks. <laughs> it is. And everyone else pretty much agreed and very few people tried to do anything with Tau for a long time. Um, See, that's the trick. You just play every army and then all, your armies are always being updated. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I'm feeling that right now, but it's a good yeah. flash bad feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good pain. Um. Yeah, when your chosen main faction is nearly forgotten, uh, I mean, it, again, it's like when other content creators don't talk about it. I, I, if it's your favorite faction, I would just keep like I, I think if it's, if something is your favorite, you sometimes you just try to make it work. Um, mm-hmm. Like. For a long time, that was Tau for me. Tau was like my, like, I just played Tau. And occasionally I would splash into other armies just because they intrigued me. But it's like, I, but I'm like, I was always like, I've got Tau to fall back on. Like, I can always go back to my Tau, even if they're not really good. And of course, we came up in the period of like fourth and fifth and sixth edition when there weren't that many content creators. So it's a very different environment. I think. I I I think, and I say this as a content creator who is like releasing you know semi regular content. Judging what, judging the environment and what your main faction is by the content other people create, is kind of a dangerous path to go down. It's like everybody wants yeah. to see their faction discussed, and, and and like I get it, like you want to see your stuff in the in the spotlight. But sometimes being in the spotlight is not a good thing because a lot of times the factions that get a lot, you know, the, the, you, you mentioned like the, well, I, the comment is I hear it's a balanced codex. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. A lot of times if something is in the, is in the, uh, the hot seat, it's because everyone knows like there, how much content was there created about Tyranids? That was not a good thing. That was not positive content. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, haven't really even played the new codex for for Tyranids yet, and part of that kind of lies in in the fact that you know they are perceived as as being like super powerful and or overpowered, and even though like the builds that I would do wouldn't necessarily be those highly tuned competitive builds. You know, the codex is still really powerful, and like I did mm-hmm. just have to deal with being perceived as playing an overpowered army. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I had kind of that same thing with, with Tau because, you know, I started playing at the end of fourth edition, 
And, you know, there was a, a weaker 4th edition codex for Tau. There was nothing for 5th edition. And then 6th edition, you know, the game changed and kind of moved a little bit closer to what Tau, are, you know, what they're good at. And then they got their codex. And, like, Gunline Tau became a big thing. And, like, I played it, had fun with it. But, like, it got to a point where showing up to events with that army, you would get, like, you could see the opponent go, oh, that's going to be one of those games. And I'm like, I don't, that's not a great feeling to have, you know, for your opponent or for yourself. So it's like I ended up moving away from that army kind of at the top of its competitive peak where people were talking about it all the time and like, oh, these great, because it's like this isn't really fun to play anymore. Like I've kind of done what I need with it and moved on to something else. So, yeah, it isn't always it isn't always the best to be at the 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 top and kind of be at the for you know the forefront of all this stuff because yeah sometimes I guess kind of boring. Yeah, I mean, God, it's when when Harlequins were the new hotness as soon as Codex Eldari dropped and like every tournament it's like oh yeah it's Harlequins Harlequins are three in the top four at what Adepticon and it's like oh yeah and there's. Har- like Harlequins are winning all these other events to the point, like, I remember the Goonhammer coverage was like, do we really have to keep saying it? It's just, you know, it's like they're bored of they're, talking yeah. about it. It's not, it's like, again, just because there's content being created about it, and sometimes that content is in the sense of how do you deal with it, that's not necessarily a great place to be. And actually, thanks to some of the changes from Nephilim, like I'm looking at the the Goonhammer coverage on like competitive innovations since Nephilim launched, which the first event that they had listed was the Show Me Showdown here in KC, which was won by Necrons. Like first place was Necrons, second place was Eldari, which it was Ben Sherwin playing Eldari. Ben's really good, and he still pulled off a, a second place undefeated. He just lost on points overall. Um. Like third was Necrons, fourth was Orcs, fifth was Imperial Knights, sixth was Harlequin, seventh was Imperial Knights, eighth was Tau, ninth was Iron Hands. There's a name we haven't heard in a while pop up. Nice. Well, Rob, what gets me there is you've listed two Imperial Knights in the top ten. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I think their their codex has upgraded them from Gatekeeper Army, which they still are, but a competitive army if played well. Right. Yeah. Uh, here is an event in Burnmouth, England. Uh, top 10 were Sisters, Adeptus Astartes with Iron Hands, uh, Tyranids, Harlequins, uh, fifth was uh, Sisters, six was Sisters. Sisters have gotten really good. Seventh, Harlequins, eighth, Craft Worlds, ninth, Sisters, tenth, Blood Angels, eleventh, Knights. Um, Here's one that, like, one of the special, ma- the featured matchups was Black Templars versus Harlequins, and Black Templars won the event. Uh, Black Templars, Tyranids, Evil Sons in third. Um, we're seeing a little bit more variety now. Tau, Tau, Death Guard, Death Guard, Necrons, Death Guard, Sororitas, Chaos Knights, and Tyranids at another event. Uh, you know, so it's like, the changes have shaken up the field, so it's not just like we're not seeing we're seeing like a, a number of really good armies, but we're not seeing the Tyranids, 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 Tyranids all over all over the place. Uh, here's an event where Deathwatch won against uh, Tau, like Deathwatch beating Tau, uh, 
Second was Imperial Knights. Third was Sisters. Fourth was Mechanicus. There's one we haven't seen. Remember when everything was about how broken Mechanicus was? Um, but I, 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 you, you will notice we're not seeing any like Gene Stealer cults, and I would say they are a balanced army, but they're not a strong army. Which they are, they have very good. I, I think there's, there's, there's a warning between. There's a difference between being balanced, which I do think Gene Steeler cults are internally. I think there's a lot of decent builds inside that army, although I think it does lend itself a little bit more towards shooty with assault support. But it, it is, I think one reason you don't see it show up a lot is it's a hard army to play. And a number of these other armies are easier armies to play like a lot of these, like a number of the sisters' armies that are winning are bloody rose, you know, bloody rose good stuff. It's like it's the good stuff in the sisters' army with bloody rose behind it. That's easy. Run at your opponent and punch them in face. <laughs> Gene Steeler cults are by their nature way more complex than that. And I think because like Mechanicus has been toned down a, qu- a lot, Mechanicus can be a tricky army to play now. So it doesn't do quite as well. Like armies that have a lot more moving parts are harder. So Gene Steeler cults, I think, don't get a lot of coverage because it is not an army you can just hand someone, give them a a very basic rundown of the tactics, and have them just beat face with it. It's like it's been a long time since we've seen Drukhari cleaning up the field. Uh, they, They used to be, like, solid everywhere, and they are not now. But they're okay. They're... I'm seeing them post in the top tens at larger events, but, uh, but yeah, it's sometimes when your army isn't being covered a lot, it just means that there's, there may not be a lot of people playing your army. And again, Gene Steeler cults, because it is a difficult army to play is not going to get a lot of coverage. And because it's a difficult army to play, it's easy for things to go wrong. Just because there's a lot of moving pieces, and if one of those pieces doesn't work right, um, everything falls apart. I mean, would you say that's accurate, Richard? Yeah, I think so. But uh, if every, like, eventually, it's like, you want to be careful about, like, wanting your army to get a lot of attention, because usually that means it's not for a good reason. And if you have a question you would like to have us answer or a, uh, you know, or an opinion to share or something to discuss, uh, there's three good ways you can do that. First is you can email us. You can email us at our first names at preferred enemies. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferred enemies.com or our first names, one word at preferred enemies.com. Second is Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow us and catch what we're working on, get updates on new episodes, drop, uh, posts on our reaction to things, things like that. Third is Twitter. We are twitter.com slash preferred enemy singular. And we take comments and questions from all three of those sources, put them together, get them in the hopper and get through as many as we can in an episode. Um, the hopper is pretty much empty. We have received a couple of list reviews recently. Um, we may save list re- maybe next episode, assuming we don't have chaos demons out, which I can't imagine. We I don't think they're going to drop it quite yet. Um, maybe later in August, but, uh, 
maybe next episode we can look at a couple of list reviews. But right now we are not primarily doing list reviews, but we we can take a look at them if you would like. Uh, in addition, uh, if you want to help support the show, we have a Patreon. It is patreon.com slash preferred enemies. Now, if you have the funds to help support us, especially in these uh, difficult times with rising gas prices and inflation, um, try to help out your community first. Use your wargaming powers for awesome. But after that, if you do want to continue help helping the show uh you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies it is just an online tip jar we don't post any of our episodes behind a paywall uh we have kind of floated the idea of like doing like a discord things like that haven't had a lot of um response on that if that is something you were interested in let us know but as of right now um you get all you get this show free no matter what but if you want to help support us uh the money you all provide us with every month uh pays for things like our web hosting our recording service, uh, replacing microphones, and helping cover the cost of tra- travel to and from events uh, so that as we are attending more events now, we can cover them as we have in the past and uh, let you know everything that's uh, going down. Um, so if you want to help support us, even if it's just a buck a month, ever you know enough people put in a dollar, it adds up and it really does help out. And you've all helped us keep the show basically income neutral, so that uh, we like we can cover like for at least making the show itself, covering all our all our costs out of pocket. Uh, basically, y'all are paying for the show, and we really do appreciate it. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our main topic, which is has someone unlocked the secret to what makes this game so complex and what could fix it? See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them. We paint them. We love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, And when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-board portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. 
If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is a further discussion on why the game is so complex and what someone has suggested could be done about it. Now, I've been kind of cagey about actually suggesting or describing what this is. And uh, this was spurred in my mind by an article that was an editorial that was posted on Frontline Gaming. And this, for some reason, apparently because I do follow Frontline Gaming on Facebook, they ran ads of this with this article in it, like afterwards to push this article. Although, strangely enough, uh, Dennis, you said you did not see this at all. Nope. Until I, I, I get, yeah, I get frontline gaming stuff, but the only thing I was getting from them is please buy our mats. The new mats do look really cool, and the new train looks really cool. But um, mm-hmm. no, like I, I didn't get stuff, anything. Yeah. Yes. No, but uh, this so- article did not appear. Yeah, so, okay, so this is an article that was posted on July 14th, uh, and it is an editorial by Salty John from uh, TFG Radio, and the article is called Making 40K Better with a Single Errata. Um, I don't necessarily want to read the whole thing, because, you know, I just don't, don't want to read it out as a script, but basically the argument he makes is that the issues with 9th edition matched play are rules bloat and overpowered combos. And he says that they both stem from a single source, stratagems. And how stratagems were introduced in 8th edition, and at first they, you know, it was just kind of there to provide a little bit of interactivity, some, like, nice generic stuff. It's like, you know, more more things you could do. Like, hey, you need to re-roll, there's a stratagem for that. You need to interrupt the fight phase, there's a stratagem for that. But as more and more stratagems got rolled out for individual codexes, and even more so in Ninth Edition, that uh, a lot of a lot of things became built around coming up with like combos of stratagems that you could layer up to just have an impossibly good turn or an unkillable unit, um, and that also having to keep track of all these stratagems and how they interact. Was, is making the game more difficult to manage. Uh, and to quote, Stratagems added an even more complex and difficult-to-balance system of rules that adds to bloat exponentially with every new release than the old Universal Special Rules system and pre-8th edition codices and formations ever did. In an attempt to create a more streamlined edition with the core rules, which they achieved, Games Workshop concurrently created a new design for codices that made rules bloat and game complexity a much larger issue with every new release. So if rules bloat are and overpowered and often unintended combos are largely the result of stratagems, what is the best way to handle this issue? Match play 40k can immediately be made simpler and more competitive with a single sentence errata. For match play purposes, ignore all references to command points. In addition, stratagems may not be used in match play when playing or mustering armies. All players get one warlord trait and one relic when mustering their army. Unquote. So... That is his suggestion, is that if we just completely booted the stratagem system entirely and launched it into the sun, this would fix the complexity issue with competitive 40k. 
Which and I completely I think agree with, because previous editions of the game, before we had stratagems, were perfectly balanced and not confusing at all. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it's one of those interesting things where, like, he makes a good point. There are a lot of ridiculous stratagem combos. That's part of why the game is the way it is. It's not the sole reason. Like, I, I think later in the, in the article, he points out that, like, if we got, just got rid of stratagems, it would simplify and make everything streamlined and you wouldn't have these dangerous combos. And I'm like, you don't know how this game is played. Like, that's the whole point is that people will just continue to come up with all of the combos. Like, CP and stratagems make that easier, but it's not going to go away if you take that section out of the game. So. Yeah, his yeah yeah removal of the CP and strat system also creates a game that will be more balanced and diverse in terms of lists. Right now, lists are designed both around the CP and strat system. Codices that have access to command point generation, regeneration, or refunds are stronger than those without. I would argue that that was definitely and that was definitely the case in Eighth Edition. Like in Eighth yeah. Edition, that I would not argue with that statement at all. I would say yeah. in Ninth Edition, yeah. with the fact that. Everybody started with a, a decent sized pile of command points, at least until recently with Nephilim. Um, that became less true, and there was less emphasis on having a bunch of command points. If anything, it opened up army building because people were using command points to pay for extra detachments in ninth edition. So I think we saw Absolutely. more diversity in list building with command points than without because that's the other thing to remember is command points are also effectively build points right but it was also these initial build points that started people found neat combos to make that made nine killable units or stuff like that and i'll say gw's fix of you have less command points to start the game with helps remove some of that uh, and mm. also I don't really care about refunds as much. I like, we always viewed that as like, ooh, getting refunds is really important so you can make sure you keep them out throughout the game. Yeah. Getting a CP at the start of each player's turn kind of makes refunds good, but not as important as they used to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in eighth edition, as we mentioned, like where there was a great imbalance in how many command points you started with. If you're playing, for example, Death Guard, you had to have the um, the tally man in there to get CPs to get command points back because you didn't have command points otherwise. Like you didn't have the option to drop in, you know, the lucky thirty-two or whatever to get an extra CP battery. So yeah, it, it's definitely less important now, and and I don't even disagree. With the the premise of the article that, like, yeah, we could just chuck this whole thing into the sun and make the game simpler. And it's interesting because it goes back to the the last listener mail question we had where, you know, you could stratify the games and make competitive play or GT play, I guess, more streamlined, reduce some of that stuff, reduce some of that to make it a little bit easier and more balanced. And that would be fine. That would be a way to play. And then you could still let stratagems and stuff play out when you play the other games. But the problem is, is that I, I reject the premise that this one fix will fix the entire game because that's mm-hmm. the game is complicated. And I don't know that necessarily chucking it into the sun is the best answer. 
But there definitely is balance problems with stratagems and CP. Maybe not as much CP anymore, but stratagems definitely. Because we mentioned it when, you know, in 8th edition when we started going into this, that like it's just one extra thing to balance. It's one extra thing for the rules team to balance and think about. It's one extra element for the player base to look at and combo. And it, it's anytime you add this, you know, every every codex getting 30 stratagems, um, you know, whatever. Like, it's just, it's more things to balance. It's more things to, for, for one to slip through and create this combo. So I definitely agree that it is a, that it's an issue, but I don't know that I necessarily agree that it's the single issue. Now, add sake as a bit of a counterpoint to that, I would like to point out. So I picked up the the data cards deck for Chaos Space Marines. I like to have the data yes. cards, the stratagem cards for every army that I play, and I do play mm-hmm. one sub faction of Chaos Space Marines. Um, that deck is 121 cards. Yeah, no, it's insane. There are. Now, now a good number of those, like there's a bunch of psychic power cards and prayer cards, and there's the set. But it's like you have seven core stratagems, thirty-one chaos space marine stratagems, and then each of the legions has eight, except for creations of bile and red corsairs, which have four because they're effectively half legions, as we mentioned. I mean, that's that's a lot to keep in mind, and. Like we had the letter in the last section, it's like, well, you really only need to know your own army in, you know, your own army. Well, you don't have to memorize everything, especially outside of competitive play. That's true, but even that's getting difficult. With and that was one of the points in the the uh, the is for you know is forty k too complex episode. Like at least to me, even an individual army can be hard to wrap your head around because there's so many moving parts. Um, so do I agree with the point that, oh, well, if we just got rid of this, it would make everything easier. No, it's not. It would, it open up more army building. No, it would just change what is good. Again, we came up in fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh edition when there were no, when there was no CP, you know, there were no command points, there were no stratagems and the game, especially like in fifth, fifth edition, yeah, there was none of that stuff, mm-hmm. and it got boring real fast because there was like yeah. three army builds that people played, and then there was everything else that was bad, you know, from a balance standpoint. Yeah, and I think you're you're moving where the balance issue is, and as you said, Kevin, it's like it is one component that makes this very complex. So it is not the end all be all, but I will say that it's it is an overreaction to something that is absolutely fun is absolutely true and that is stratagems i think are far more complex than they have to be yes i would agree with that and going you know going back to 8th edition and the beginning of 8th edition when there were like four universal like three or four universal stratagems because there was there was there was command reroll there was uh, inter- there was like counterattack, so interrupting the fight phase, and there was automatically passing a morale test. Like those were the big three. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, each faction ended up yeah with about like 
like two pages of stratagems and then a page of stratagems for each of your sub factions. And that wasn't a bad step, and especially because a lot, a number of those stratagems would end up being kind of like, as we always said, this was nice to have in your back pocket. You might never use it, but it's a kind of cool to have around. And then the ones that were tied to your, to your sub faction, you'd have one of those. And so it was still a lot, but not too bad. I think with ninth edition codex design, I do feel that they've gone overboard because they will have four pages of, of stratagems in many cases, plus your faction specific ones, plus seven generic ones. And that is, I, and especially like they've moved a lot of war gear to stratagems. Like, like the one that gets me, the one that, just boggles me like this needs to be a stratagem smoke launchers smoke launchers used to just be <clears throat> a piece of war gear that a vehicle had once per game the vehicle could pop smoke and it would count as it, like you'd be minus one to hit it effectively and that was fine that was not overly complex and then in ninth edition they decided to make it a stratagem which on the one hand like for brevity's sake you just had vehicles that had the smoke launchers keyword, and then you could have one stratagem that would say, hey, this a vehicle with the smoke launchers keyword can use this stratagem to get the effect of smoke launchers. Okay, fine. It's kind of like making it almost a universal rule within the codex, but tied to a stratagem. But then it has the other side effects of, one, it costs CP, so now you have to to balance you're already having to balance whether you shoot with that vehicle or not because smoke launchers usually means you can't you do that in your shooting phase instead of shooting but you're, you're having to spend cp so you have to balance the risk or the cost benefit analysis and you can only do it once per phase which means if you want to have everything pop smoke for a turn because let's say you're you're a more assault focused army and you want to get your vehicles up a bit closer and make them a bit harder to hit well, pick one because you, not everybody can do it, which doesn't make any sense either. So it's like, have, do have they gone overboard on stratagems specifically? Yeah, I don't know, but this is definitely the direction because you you smoke launchers and as as the example, all toss out Harlequin's weapons. Mm-hmm. They. They made them all so they have the same profile, so which is great for rolling, because I will admit when playing the Dark Eldar and the witches have like the three different weapon profiles, it's like mm-hmm. having to roll each separately was kind of a pain. But Harlequin smoothed that out. But as you said, I can't get the effect of each of the different weapons. Well, I guess I could because they're three different stratagems, but because they're stratagems, I have to weigh, do I need to use this now? If so, which one? And so it, it gives more, I'll say, depth of thinking, but also managing your command points. Mm-hmm. So both of those adds more complexity to the game in that regards. Oh, no, absolutely. And it's and also we're seeing we're also seeing some stratagems as they've added more of them. We're getting a lot of samey stratagems. And this was also Mm -hmm. a little bit of an issue in eighth, but it's like how many armies now have some variation on transhuman physiology? Like it made sense. It's like, Oh yeah, that's the space Marine thing. Like they are like genetically modified. It's like, they should have it. Any of the other 
space marine-ish factions should have access to it. Like, you know, it makes sense. Like, Grey Knights should have it. Death Watch and Blood Angel. Yeah, that, those they should all have it. Okay, Chaos Space Marines, they should have it, too. They're also transhuman. But then other factions like, oh, yeah, we've got a variation of it where we're, yeah, we, we don't just, we just, instead of, like, a feel no pain or something like, uh, no, you can only wound. We, we've got a stratagem for, for that, too. It's like, does everybody have to have that ability? It does it mean anything when everybody has something like that? Every like it feels like there's a lot of armies that have the strat for you know being able to fall back and and shoot for a turn or like everybody's got a stratagem for shooting at something that comes out of uh, the res- you know comes out of reserves like something deep strikes in okay somebody everybody's got a stratagem to shoot at that thing it's like right and then when when a faction comes out and they don't have that that kind of hurts. <laughs> Right. Or they have that, but it doesn't work the same as everyone else's. It's slightly different. Right. Like, like the factions that have transhuman physiology, but only on a one and two. But it costs the same. But like sisters? Yeah. Right. It's like these, like, should they even have that in the first place? I, and I, like, I don't, I don't think anybody, I, and I, I would even argue the, I don't know how this, how much sincerity this is in this article because it does feel like a massive overreaction. And yet I'm looking at the comments, which I know is always a dangerous place to go. <laughs> yeah. I definitely Although didn't do I, that. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I, I, I got the eye bleach ready and I read the comments. Um, I do think it, it's interesting. This article, they so Frontline Gaming has the ability to rate their articles on a five star system. This one is currently sitting at a two point eight. So definitely mixed feelings on this one. <laughs> but a lot, a number of responses right out the gate were like, "Yes, I couldn't agree more." Um, even if they reduced them to a short list of reactions, like in thirty k, which I think that's an interesting point. Is Horus Heresy the new edition of Horus Heresy has added? reactions to their game which are stratagems mm-hmm. but extremely limited very few of them like chapters like allegiance will have like one special one that they can do but they're also very much limited to like you can use this one in this phase once and this one in this phase once and there's no point management or anything it's just a thing you can possibly do in response to something your opponent does, but you can only use, like, you can't use them all at the same time. There's, there's really no way to build combos out of them. They're almost all reactive moves. Like, somebody does something, you can react to, like, maybe move backwards or move closer up or take cover, things like that. Uh, somebody wrote, so many abilities are now stratagems. This errata would make the game bland and boring. I would love to see it with indexes and a total wipe for 10th edition, which is funny because the index 40k we once argued was also bland and boring. Here's someone like, I'm new to 40k, only getting in the very start of 8th edition. My friends and I never bother with strats, detachments, or combat or command points because it's just too complicated. Let's see. While I dislike stratagems, one must realize that GW has moved rules that used to exist on units to stratagems in cases where, while in others, has left rules that were historically on the unit rules still on the unit rules, uh, which is also fair. There's a number of things that are very inconsistent like that. Yeah. No, the, like, again, it's definitely a mixed bag, and I definitely think they need to do something to, to like, rebalance it or fix it, like, because it needs to be modified. But, yeah, it's... I think chucking the whole thing out is is an overreaction. 
but at the same time, like if you if you're playing in your garage with your friends and you don't want to use stratagems or command points or detachments or points, go for it. Don't play the game how you want to play it. Like, right. If that's, you know, well, if you're having fun with that, then go do that. I'm reminded of Arbiter Ian's uh, open play rules document where it's like mm-hmm. pick pick five stratagems or maybe deal five stratagems randomly from your deck and you can use each of those once in the game. That Actually, somebody has a, a comment of how about you get to put five stratagems on your list and you get to use them all once during the game. So I think even in open light, like there's people that realize there's value in having the game being more reactive, like having the ability to not just sit there and take it all game. And I think it points out one of the issues with stratagem design is that one of the things that was great about stratagems when they first hit was like, especially the generic ones, they give you something to do in reaction to to your opponent's turn. Like, your opponent has like, you know, is, is going to just like roll you in the assault phase, being able to interrupt the assault phase, like after they've charged and get somebody in to fight next. That is actually a very, that's very useful. And it gives you a chance to counter your opponent's strategy a little bit, Uh, being able to keep a unit from dying to morale and and getting them to hold. uh, It can be very useful. I and I think, like, th- again, the addition of reactions to uh, Horse Heresy 2 shows that there is – that there's value in having that. Uh, the newest version of Age of Sigmar has a much smaller pool of command points and you have command abilities that you can do. There's, like, a, like a group of, like, four or five things that are that are doable – but only like one unit can benefit from one a turn. And like you can get more if you have heroes in your army that can then trigger them, but you have to spend like this small pool of command points to do it. And there are ways to try to get command points back, but it's not as sure a thing as you have in 40 K. But it's like, it's, it's more clarified. There's definitely not the army bloat that you have where it's like every army has, 30 or 40 stratagems or more that they have to keep track of. Um, it's like there's a half dozen things you can do on your opponent's turn, which also it it keeps the game re- reactive, but it also keeps it a little bit easier to mentally manage for both players. It keeps it less, aha, gotcha moment. I, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I played my trap card. And, and this also gets into the whole thing, like was Nephilim's fix, which is almost chucking it into the sun, but not quite. Like, is cutting command points in half and then making you pay for relics and warlord traits, was that an overreaction or is that hitting the right levels? Like, did they figure out that they were giving people too many command points and too many stratagems, but the because Pandora's box is open, the stratagem deck is open and those cards are all out there now, is the only solution to say, well, stop using so many of them. Don't use them all at once. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. Because I I know, yes, Pandora's box was open, but they keep on leaning into it by the way they're designing stratagems. Mm -hmm. And (sighs) truthfully... I think the cutting of them in Nephilim at the start is fine. Like I said, that kind of balances things out. So you can do that, have them more throughout the game. But it's, 
for me, the, the relic and warlord trait one that kind of still has me head scratching. Um, and I just say that because then to either like play a, a certain character, well, suddenly to bring this character in your army, they cost CP because you want them to have mm-hmm. a warlord trait and a, well, I guess character, you don't have to buy their relics. But to give them the warlord trait, you have to spend the CP, and they come with whatever their relic is, because it's not a book relic. It's part of their character sheet. Um, right. But it also leads you to, I think we'll see more characters, and characters that might not have a warlord trait if it's not they don't have a good one. Because, I mean, Logan Grimnar does not have a good warlord trait. <laughs> and so it, it's probably, well, it's not a benefit to not have it, but... If he's like your warlord and you don't have a warlord trait, well, it doesn't hurt you, so to speak. Right. But I, I think we'll see more people using named characters, because then those get the free relic, over, I'm using air quotes on that relic, over having to buy one yourself, unless you just really, really want to build that perfect commander for your army. Well, and I think that's an interesting point that you make up with like the named characters and the CP and stuff. It's not going to, you know, it, it's definitely going to shift like what type of characters get brought, named characters maybe more, more frequently, stuff like that. That's not making the game less complex. That's not breaking combos. That's just shifting deck chairs on the Titanic. Like mm-hmm. you're just, you're just saying, okay, well, rather than this character, which can do this thing, you just take this character, which can do this thing. Like well. it's. Anything you're still we do is shifting combos. chairs. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're still breaking combos and stuff. So, like, the, the, the whole, like, idea that, oh, if we just get rid of all of this, it'll, it'll, like, that's part of what game balance is, is shifting things around and making adjustments. I, I don't know. Like, it's just, I don't, I, you know, I don't have a great answer because I'm not a game designer, but I don't. I don't necessarily see it as a problem. Like I know that there are probably too many stratagems and there's probably too complex, but I think most people are going to play one or two factions. They're going to know their faction pretty well. And then it's not really going to be an issue. The, the, I think the other thing that comes into this is the fact that we're constantly getting updates. We're getting new books. We're getting new factions. We're getting new things constantly. I don't know that anybody, like a lot of people probably don't have the, time i know i certainly don't to like set down with the new tau codex and go like okay what is the army i want to build with this what do i need to learn what do i need to build around what stratagem should i use and then play it for six months you know and get really good with it because you know it comes out and then there's another book and then there's another book and there's another book and i you know it gets lost in the shuffle so i don't know like i think there's a number of factors that are going into this i think release schedule is one of them i think People trying, you know, especially from the competitive scene, people trying to understand everything so they don't have those gotcha moments. And I just don't, I just don't know that that's possible. I mean, we do, we're content creators and we don't know everything. You know, it's, that's kind of like what our role is and, and we still miss stuff. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> I, I mean, my argument, like, I don't want to get rid of stratagems. I, I think. I think getting rid of them, I think they are part of the game. I think that the game is definitely constructed more with them than without them. And I do like their presence. I do like that having a little bit of resource management in the game is not a bad thing. Having things that you can do to like at key moments is cool. 
Um, I do think they've gone way overboard. Like I, I, th- I think that the design on stratagems has not been as tight as it needs to be. I think there's a, I think a lot of factions have way more strat, like even like, you know, there's the whole argument of complexity versus flavor. I think you can have complexity without necessarily needing four to six pages of stratagems Mm -hmm. for your army. And it would cut a lot of the complexity to pare those down to a much more manageable list. I don't, uh, yeah, it's like, so I'm going to spitball this as, as an idea. Um, and I'm going to like, I'm just like last time we talked about, like I talked a lot about one page rules. And again, I do think that one page rules probably does go way too far, at least in their core rules and the current army lists of cutting army flavor. It's like, if you really would, if you want to just get like a, a nice tight game in sure. But if you want a flavorful game, like if you want an army that feels like it does, the army fluff stuff, I th- I don't think it's quite there. But I do think it's interesting that if you have their full rule book, which I do because I'm a Patreon subscriber, but you can also buy it for like five bucks on uh, like uh, Drive Through RPG or Wargamers Vault. Uh, they they have a bunch of additional rules that you can add on, like supplemental things that you can bolt onto the main game. And one of them happens to be command points and stratagems. And so their take on command points and stratagems, I'm just going to go through it real quick. Um, so uh, when you play, play with these rules, players get in this case, D six plus X CP at the start of the game where X is one CP for every 500 points in their army. I don't like the random aspect of that, but I do like the idea that's based on game size. That's the same thing we see in 40 K. Okay. That's fine. Mm-hmm. At any point during the game, players that may then spend their CP in order to activate stratagems with each only being usable once per unit activation, friendly or enemy. Uh, and also remember uh, one page rules has alternating activations. So it's not just I do, I go, you go. It's I do a unit, you do a unit, I do a unit, you do a unit. Um, and then players have access to all abilities from the universal doctrine of stratagems as well as those from one other doctrine. So they basically, what they have is they have one, two, three, four, five, six generic universal stratagems. And then you pick one of three doctrines, strategic, defensive, or shock. Each of those has three stratagems. One that costs one CP, one that costs two, and one that costs three. Uh, so, for example, your universal ones in this case are like high command, because they don't do rerolls, but they do like high command gives you for one CP, add one to the result of any single die. Uh, Supreme command, add plus one to the result of all dice in a single roll. Uh, seize initiative when it's the enemy's turn to activate a unit you may activate one of your units instead but the opposing player may spend 2 CP to counter it Um, total shutdown at the end of the round pick an objective marker under your control that's about to be seized by your opponent it becomes neutral instead it basically nobody controls it Uh, the opposing player may spend 2 CP in order to stop it Uh, delayed deployment during deployment for alternating you can spend 2 CP to make to, to pass and make your opponent go next but they can spend two CP to counter it and hidden deployment uh, three for three CP redeploy D three of your units. And then the other opponent can do the same thing if you activate it. And then let's say you pick strategic doctrine um, for one CP. You can, uh, a model can uh, ignore wounds on a four up. If it's a wound that would kill it lightning reflexes for two CP, um, a unit that, 
that uh, ran or advanced in this case, like their equivalent of advanced counts as being in cover. Mm -hmm. And for three CP, pick a unit that would be, they have like a whole morale system with being pinned or routed. Like like, routed as you run away, pinned as you can't, like you're acting at a severe penalty. A unit that would be uh, pinned, it's not, basically it's their pass morale equivalent. So if you had like six generic ones that were also counterable, and then one group of three stratagems based on like a general gameplay style. And then on top of that, I would say, which is something that one page rules doesn't have because they want their army lists to be as like basic as possible. I would also add like maybe have three to six that were tied to your army and how your army is supposed to function in your army's special rules. Like that would be like 12 to 18 stratagems to manage for everyone that seems like a much more feasible style also with a lot of those generic ones being counterable if your opponent wants to spend the equivalent number of cp i kind of like that as an idea where you still can do the thing but it's not this ridiculous list of like combo building and and a Mm -hmm. much more manageable pile it'd be kind of nice if you had like instead of every faction having a 60 to 80 or 120 in the case of Cast Space Marines card deck, if there was just a stratagems deck that had yeah. the generics and then everybody else's stratagems in like 100 cards, like that would be fantastic. I, I like yeah. the the concept of stratagems is not bad. It's the the current implementation is a mess and is is not as it just doesn't feel like it's as well thought through. It's not it's not sloppy necessarily. It's just, I don't think it's being done with a good sense of, is this healthy for the game? You know? Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Like, I definitely think there needs to be tweaks or changes to it, but you know, I, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't, like I said, I don't know the answer offhand, but it definitely seems to me like some of the things being suggested are are over actions. Mm hmm. And then, you know, compared to that, you've also got the movement, the movement of taking a warlord trait or relic to a, to a stratagem that has to be, that you have to spend CP on. And it feels like it, like you've already cut down the number of CP. It feels like that is meant to be a counter to the taking of additional warlord traits and relics. And it feels like that might just be better off served by a change to like you can have one relic, like kind of the way it used to be, where you can have one relic and one warlord trait in your army. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it because again, you, it's like with being able to take additional warlord, like that was the the whole kind. It felt like that was the point of warlord traits and relics. Like you have this like one special thing that you can add to your army, and you can have your the leader of your army do this one special thing. And and like you said, Dennis, if you like, if you have a character who has a bad warlord trait, you may not want to take them. So if you can choose not to take it, that does make them maybe more attractive. But when it was just like a, yeah, you can do your warlord is special because they have this like one thing that they do that nobody else can do that, you know, it warlord traits feel more like a combo component now because you can load your army with them. Like you can like I can have two or three characters running around with this special trait, so I don't have like 
And with especially having pre-Nephilim having a lot more CP or outside of match play having a lot of CP, it's just like, well, I guess outside of C- match play, do you even have more CP? Well, I guess you do based on game size. Yeah. So everyone does. Yeah. So it's like, it's like if I can take just as many as I can spend command points on, they don't feel like there's nothing really special to them. It's just another ability that I can just load in my army. So, like, I I would think, and again, this is not a fix for the game. This is the start of many little fixes that have to go together for this. And and I'm not calling for stripping out all the complexity of the game. Again, for me, I think the stratagems are definitely a huge part of it. But my my feeling, like a lot of the complexity does also lie in some of the armies, like the faction specific rules mm-hmm. on top of that. Um, and the fact that, like, I would also get rid of some of the things like being able to, like, the the power, like the point cost extra abilities like whether like like oh, making yeah, somebody yeah. a chapter master or a prototype war gear stuff like that i'd like to see that something i think we could jettison into the sun and not really miss anything yeah like those the uh, and because those are also not built equally because there's some of those that are like kind of fundamental to like flavor an army like 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 I understand the chapter master one, but it's like it feels like that could just be an upgrade on the character data, like the captain data sheet, and just with like you can have with the the note that you can have like one chapter master in your army. That doesn't yeah. need to be like a whole subset of rules that then everybody has to have because that's one of those things. Like, well, Space Marines got it first. Well, now everyone has to have it. It's like no, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. everybody and needs this. Any of those stratagems that are that are so narrow that they really only apply to, like, one or two units, why not just put those on the data sheet? Yeah. Well, and there was that comment that said that it's also inconsistent because some units have kept their unit abilities and some have been moved to, you know, to a stratagem. But, like, yeah, many of those cases, there's, like, one, maybe two units that can benefit from it. It's like there's no reason that this needs – like, if you want to make it limited, just make it a once-per-game thing. That's that's all like make it a once per game unit ability and it's fine. But yeah, it, the design on on stratagems is just really really questionable in ninth edition. Like there's just a number of decisions that have been made and it's clear that it's the design philosophy they're going with because we're seeing it over and over and over again in every codex. So it's definitely like it's not a fluke by any means. Mm-hmm. But it's like I just don't think it was the right call. I, and I'd be curious to hear from, from listeners, like, what is your feelings on this? And, and with the understanding that, like, as you said, Kevin, if you don't want to use stratagems, there's nothing saying you have to. And and there's, like, if there, you, you are free to, as long as you are not changing the underlying data sheets, you know, under your opponent, mm-hmm. it's like you are free to not interact with any of the game mechanics you don't want to interact with. I mean, if you don't, you don't like psychic powers. Most armies you don't even ha- that even have psychic powers, you don't have to take a psyker. You know, if you don't want to use yeah. command points or stratagems, you just choose not to. As long as both players are on board with it, or even if your your opponent isn't, 
you can just choose not to spend use any stratagems in a game. That's totally fine. It's just that is like ha- has stratagem design and and the design philosophy of them gotten out of hand. Like have they do you think it's it's a case of they kind of lost the plot of where they were going with it. Yeah, I, I kind of think it is because originally, as you mentioned, you know, it was a couple of a couple of strategic resources, and then you know, okay, here's a couple cool abilities that Space Marines can do, and then here's a couple cool, you know, a couple cool faction specific abilities, and then now we're at the point where you know the Chaos Marine book has eight sub factions or. Obviously, fewer than that, but like, you know, six or seven sub factions with their own suite of stratagems and then, you know, other stratagems for specific units and stuff. It's like, yeah, I think it probably is. You've probably wandered too far afield at this point because the idea is, you know, it's, it's a rare use ability to, you know, buff a unit, pull out a clutch maneuver, things like that. And now it's, it's, I think there's just too many, but on the flip side, you know, if I'm building a Chaos Marine list, I can ignore most of those stratagems because they're not relevant. They're only for a specific subfaction. It just, anytime you introduce more things to a game, it's more things to balance. And you're increasing the likelihood that, you know, the wording on one thing interacts with something in a way that it's not supposed to. And now you've broken, you know, you've broken a hole in the game. So it's... I think they've probably pushed it too far and probably need to rein it back in a little bit. Um, which, you know, maybe why they're talking, there's rumors of 10th edition and stuff. So maybe they're going to change the way that stuff works in the new edition, but I don't know. I, I will say is just a, a kind of a quick aside, something that I stumbled upon while I was, uh, while we were having this conversation on Facebook. So, uh, blog, uh, blog for the blood God, which is a, uh, uh, corn, World Eaters player posted this and he's talking about a uh, stratagem combo for Red Butchers in the new World Eaters Codex, which is, you know, this is kind of getting to the point of like how how small something can be to still be super complex and have all these combos because the World Eaters Codex is two units and like six stratagems, I think, you know, in a in a white dwarf. You can build a 10 man Red Butcher squad. You take two CP to make them uh, Red Butchers pregame to add one strength, fight twice. Uh, you can give them uh, another CP to give them a Black Mace Relic. Another CP for Wrath of Chosen, which is plus one to hit. Two CPs for Veteran Long War, which is plus one to wound. And one CP for Wild Fury, which uh, improves their AP by one. That unit then, uh, 10 man units in a single fight phase, will on average kill 100 Guardsmen. 40 Space Marines, 25 other Terminators, 6 Rhinos, 3 Land Raiders, or 3 Imperial Knights for, like, a 10-man Terminator squad. Then, granted that you've spent 7 or 8 CP on for one unit, but, like, yeah, you could certainly buff out and do ridiculous combos, even in a, in a codex where it's like, yeah, there's not that many actual options. <laughs> Right. And it's like, it's like, that's, I mean, on the one hand, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's cool to pull that off. But on the other hand, it's like, that's not good design, I don't think. It's probably too much. Yeah, that's probably too much. Yeah, it's a bit too much. (laughs) 
Um, this is interesting. Somebody has an almost complete dump of... So back in second edition, the early, early days of 40K, now they had a whole bunch of cards that, you know, that were included in like the Dark Millennium box set that added a whole lot. Like that's where psychic powers were really added heavily and stuff like that. Well, there was a set of stratagems cards there where you could just, they were just things you could play. There was, I don't think there was any point systems. Like you would just have a a hand of cards you could use. Here was one that was called the uh, called virus outbreak or otherwise. Oh, you play guard orcs, screw you. A dominant virus becomes or dormant. A dormant virus becomes active. You may play this card at any time. Place the virus counter anywhere on the table. Any models within two inches of the counter are affected by it, as if a virus grenade had dedicated detonated at that spot work out the result of the virus outbreak immediately and leave the counter in place for the rest of the game anything which approaches within two inches of the virus counter in subsequent movement phases will be attacked by the virus again so well that was a lot i'm sure that was a lot more fun to use before a couple of years ago <laughs> <laughs> well i mean this would have been like 20 plus years ago but sure but like that's a that's a much funner thing to talk about up until a little while ago Let's see. A tra- traitor. A traitor in the enemy's ranks has revealed their plans to you. You may play this card at the beginning of the game to increase your ro- your force's strategy rating by a roll of D3, which, if I remember right, adjusted who went first in the game. Alternately, you can hold onto this card and use it to cancel out any of the following strategy cards. So it's like you had a counter spell card you could play. <laughs> um, yeah, there's... Or or the, the cards you could just... Like, with the warrior cards that you could just add points to use in your army like a vortex grenade like you could just buy a vortex grenade any army could have one (laughs) so i mean that i would also argue that in second edition nobody was really caring too badly about uh you know like game balance wasn't really that much of a thing (laughs) yeah right also in second edition they had the percentage of your army had to be this and certain right. characters couldn't join your army unless you, your army was at least, least this many points. Right. But yeah, so it's like, yeah, this was these were all from the, the Dark Millennium box. Uh, so uh, strate- strategies, stratagems, they were like they were in second edition in this add on, which was pretty much like a required add on. And then they disappeared from the game for. Five, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. For five editions, they disappeared. And then eighth edition, they came back. And it doesn't look like the balance on them got a lot better over time. <laughs> so uh, I don't. But again, it's like I, I like the idea of stratagems. And especially in a game where it is an I go, you go game. Having them there as as a way to to do something cool or pull something out of your hat is fun. It's cool. Like when you when you use that stratagem as like part of your like like when it it comes in at a clutch moment, it feels so cool to have that that thing. When you get the reroll and and you reroll exactly what you need, it it feels good. Man, when even when you get the reroll and you get the same thing you just rolled, <laughs> like it just has that moment of well, apparently that's what I was going to like. That's how that was going to turn out. Fate has decreed that that is how it's going to be. It's like stratagems make for neat narrative moments in the game. They can, yeah. but not like this. <laughs> not not the way they are right now. Now they 
So, so yeah, I would love to hear from listeners what their like what their take is on this because I think we're all in agreement. Stratagems have gotten out of hand. It's just is the solution yeeted into the sun or roll it way back to just generics or is it somewhere in the middle? Like where, like, or are they, do you feel that stratagems maybe are just fine how they are? And it's something else. That's the balance issue. It's something else that is the complexity issue. Well, like Um, having 20 different codexes. Well, I mean, that's, that's always going to be an issue that I, I don't think that, I don't know if, the number of codexes is as much a complexity issue as it is a balance issue. There's lots of games that have multiple factions. And I would argue that uh, like Age of Sigmar has a lot of factions and seems to be doing better on the balance front. Uh, And in fact, I am seeing more and more people talking about moving from 40k to Age of Sigmar. Uh, partially because the game does have a lot less bloat and because the people who are playing it appear to have more fun, which is, I mean, have we reached a point like, like I still love 40 K do not get me wrong. I love the game very, I would not have dropped all the resources onto it. (laughs) And and I don't want this to sound like a, a, a sunk cost fallacy. I honestly do enjoy playing it very, very much. But I will admit that there are times when it's like, like I I have straight up said now, it's like, I don't really want to play competitively because that is not the environment now that I want to be in. I like, I, I like seeing what's going on in that scene. I like seeing how it's affecting, like what things are being discovered about the game that we need to address. But it's not necessarily where I want to go with the game. And in some ways that is freeing because I can choose to engage or not engage with the parts of the game that I don't really want to. And I can find somebody who's on the same page where it's like, if I can, if I want to ditch stratagems, I'm free to do so. Um, but I'm just wondering if that is like, obviously Nephilim, the Nephilim changes were a push in response to the fact that we were just going from broken codex to broken codex to broken codex. And it was turning a lot of people off from the game. Like uh, even at the competitive level, a lot of people were getting turned off from it. And if command, if adjusting command points along with the other balance changes, they did do a few, you know, prime offenders. If cutting down the number of command points, which has had a number of knock on effects, such as making certain builds like, stuff that we were playing at the uh the the friendly event for midwest conquest non-viable because i like dennis you couldn't have played your uh inquisition and knights army could you yeah no i couldn't have but the funny thing there is if i couldn't have done that i would have had a stronger list because those extra (laughs) cp i'd spent just made it more fluffy right but yeah it's like it's like yes this looking at the competitive results we are seeing more diversity in the top on the top tables, which is good. And the armies that were good are still good, but not broken, not so good that they're dominating. So that's good. Is that more an effect from the, the balanced data slate changes, or is it more an effect from the mission packet? And it's, it's one of these things where you change too many variables at once and it's hard to tell what, which one 
did both of them do it? Did one of them, like, would this be fine with 12 command points and normal command point regeneration instead of half command points and double regeneration? Like, which one makes the big deal? Like, which one is the difference? Yeah, I, I going back to this original article, I, I do think that editorial is, like, it's one of these, it, it's one of those things where it's like, yes, you've touched on one of the issues. No, I don't think your solution is the right one even remotely. <laughs> but I get why you feel that way. It's like, I, I, I totally get the, like, I, I get what drives you to, to kind of float that as an idea. And it's, it, it, it could have been like the name of the article, like I said, is making 40 K better with a single errata. It's a very clickbaity title <laughs> and yeah. it's a very clickbaity subject. And it's, I get the impression it's really there to start a conversation which we have had, and you know, like we've we've done the conversation, but I don't know if, like, I don't know if it really helps the issue because the minute you put forth that broad of an idea of let's just get rid of this thing, it's going to immediately kind of shut off a lot of the conversation because it's a binary solution to something that is not a binary problem. Yeah, so. But yeah, please, listeners, let us know what you think. Uh, let us know, uh, do you think stratagems are good, bad, somewhere in the middle? Should we get rid of them? Should we cut down on them? Should we leave them as is? Uh, do you have, like, are, are there some stratagems that you think are overrepresented or are overdone? Should we get rid of the stratagems for extra warlord traits and and relics? Or are those kind of fundamental to being able to build like the fluffy armies is this something that should be a universal fix like as the overall design of stratagems has gotten out of hand or is this something like only for matched play like is this a matched play only fix is this a should we leave it alone for a crusade and open play like what let us know what you think because like i think we're we're all kind of like hovering around the it's a problem. There's a number of fixes, but we haven't landed on one. So I'd like to, I would really like to hear what the listeners think about this issue and, and let us know. And with that, let's move towards the end of the show with uh, hobby progress. Uh, as mentioned, I have built a number of, like I've built the, co the cultist and dark commune kits. Um, and I've been painting on my death guard. I also started uh, building the terrain from uh, Chalnath, which is a repeat of the terrain from like the original Kill Team box for 8th edition. And I've got one of the reasons I wanted to, I've been focusing on getting more terrain put together is that I reset up my gaming table down here and I'm using the US Open terrain layouts, which I have enough buildings for, but I would like to get some of the pieces a little bit more dense and a little bit more. It's so like I have the area terrain marked off. So here is where the area terrain rules come into play. But I would like to have more pieces of it to really fill it in and make it look better. Like I have enough, but I would like more. So I'm I'm going to be working on on terrain pieces and, and kits. And I've got a couple of other projects. Um, one is I'm, I'm in the process of trying to track down the superstructure of an Imperial Knight. And that is because um, one of the things I have 3D files for is uh, stuff that 
um, technically Games Workshop, I guess they still make it because you can still buy it on the Forge World site, but I think it's a slightly different sculpt, is the, the panels that make a regular Imperial Knight kit into a Chaos Knight. They are marked as temporarily out of stock, so... Uh, somebody has basically made something that is not a straight one-to-one scan, but it's basically like a redesign in the same aesthetic. And so I want to print that out. It's just I need to – there's night parts. I will have to track down like the body underneath the carapace and shoulder pads and all that stuff. So I have – like I actually have somebody who might have legs for me, but we need to see if we can get the rest of the torso together. So I'm, I'm – I, I want to get that together because I have, like, I want to have an Imperial Knight fo- or a Chaos Knight army to go pair with my my Emperor's Children because I need more armies, apparently. You know, well, Games Workshop sent us the Chaos Knight army box, and so I guess I'm going to have a Chaos Knight army now, so. Do it. Um, get yourself 10 know, army I, tournaments. <laughs> oh God! I'm. Well, let's see. Okay, so here's. I, I've been mentioning a couple times a project I'm working on, and the project was I'm going to do the same thing, but I wanted to give it a spin. In uh, like, I was going to take some armies in their one-page rules equivalents, could play those out, and then kind of do the same things with the same army builds, which I'd have to see if they're how close they are point wise in 40k but play the same games with the same armies in 40k and see how they feel because i know the armies in one page rules are going to be very they're going to be noticeably smaller because like 2,000 points in one page rules is somewhere between a thousand and fifteen hundred in 40k and i'm not exactly sure where so i've got i'll have to see where the balance lies but um i i kind of want to give it a spin just to see like how differently does it feel because we as we discussed it's not that far from the ninth edition rule set it's just the armies are much simpler and are pointed very differently so i i kind of want to give it a try and so i've been going through and like figuring it like i've got armies put together for sisters death guard emperor's children um nurgle demons uh blood angels and tau I looked at doing knights, but the problem is like knights in one page rules, like a like a knight paladin is like nearly eight hundred points. So I can like, mm. and I don't have any armagers built, so I'd have to build like I've got a box of two armagers. I'd have to build those, and then I might be able to do like a knight and two armagers as an army. And I'm like, that's not gonna work, <laughs> not even a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, I'm 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 wanting to kind of do the solo solo tournament but i to do that i want to have even better looking tables and so to do that i need more terrain so that is one of the things that has caused me and also i just want to get some of these boxes of terrain done and off my shelf (laughs) so i can make space for other stuff so so yeah that's what i've been working on lately oh i bought a house last week so i'm moving congratulations Um, so I haven't really done anything other than like I'm kind of reorganizing my my uh my shelving and my display area for my minis. Um so like I've got several of the uh like IKEA shelves, like glass uh glass shelves. Um so I'm going to set those up in my room, you know, in my my kind of game room um and kind of organize stuff so that I can have a better idea for what I actually have painted, what I have unpainted, stuff like that. So 
as part of the moving process, I'm kind of taking this opportunity to reorganize what I have. And maybe that, you know, that might lead to the decision to call some armies and do some stuff like that. But uh, no. as of right now, it's just as of right now, it's just boxing stuff up and moving. So and then Gen Con's in two weeks. So I'll probably come back with more minis from that. <laughs> Even though I start a new well. army, nice. <laughs> new Jinkai, new army, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I will, I will go ahead and say because I we couldn't, you know, didn't really come up earlier, but uh, when it, when if GW sends the uh, the new Angron model, uh, yeah, just go ahead and forward that to my. I'll give you my new address. Just go ahead and forward it to me. We'll, we'll I'll make sure it gets taken care of. <laughs> Okay, I, I guess for me, over the past time, I finally got my orc picked up or slash bought for free from my Warhammer Plus subscription. Um, when I was on the website, it also, I just, out of curiosity, looked and falcons were back in stock. So I said, yeah, I've never owned a falcon. Let's get that taken care of. And then I also picked up a fire prism because it's really good to have two on a table. And I have one of the old, old, old ones that looks kind of stubby, and then one of the modern ones that actually has a really nice turret crystal on it, and so I wanted two of the nice turret crystals. So, yeah, all that arrived, and it's more things I need to get put together, just like I still have two Chaos Armagers I need to get put together. Um, but those weren't needed for to pat out the army, they're just I wanted to make some of the melee ones. So, yeah, my little pile of gray plastic is growing but we'll, we'll we'll get to that i'm not i'm not worried and besides this will give me some other stuff to put together either before or after voton hits um then in the meantime uh we i did my round two of the little let's play through all the armies and see how they do and in between that i also did a stint at the friendly local game store um tournament and yeah, some of the things were definitely eye-opening. How, like I mentioned, I guess to you guys, like lone lone wolves, <laughs> long fangs, um, just just aren't that great anymore. Um, Terminators aren't that great anymore. They're they're still really cool. I have a lot of them because I built a lot of Space Wolf Terminators. I still find it weird that they can't go in a drop pod. I still find it weird that they teleport. Um, but then again, that's just old me talking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so round two went kind of as I expected. Um, Eldar was able to outlast Dark Eldar. Actually, no, it was more of a stomping. Eldar was fast enough to get out and get points and start generating victory points quickly. Dark Eldar kind of did, but they were pushed back and... They really need turn two or three to just really get rolling. Um, and that, that kind of is what played out is round two. They were able to assault and charge or advance and charge, come out of their vehicles and just really put a hurt on things. But the problem was they didn't finish off any units and then those units could fall back and then they just got shot off the board once they were out of their transports. So. That one was very, very rough for the Dark Eldar. Harlequins and Imperial Knights was an interesting one in the fact that Harlequins actually pulled that off, which I guess from us seeing on the other tournament scenes, not that surprising. But yeah, Haywire Cannons 
and psychic power. Like Smite is still amazing. Haywire cannons just crushed things. And knights still have the problem of once you start getting them down, they don't have enough bodies to go get on points. And this got me thinking. I'm not going to change the lists for this because I'm trying to keep it all the same. But I really think a better knight list would be either like the one Titan or not Titanic, but the Tyrant class or the the top class, Dominus class, along with a bunch of Armagers. If you still want to have like your six points refunded, or I think probably what's the the better route is kind of what I played against at the tournament of just two regulars and like. I think it was like six or seven armagers because then that gets you the board coverage you need. And truthfully, it's not as painful if you lose one or two armagers as it is if you lose one giant knight. Right. Next one was sisters versus Slanesh. And that one was actually one of the closest games I've had. I'm trying to see what the, the, the main thing was scoring was the primary primary is what decided this game. Actually, no, secondary, too. So, yeah, Despoilers of Reality is what the Slanesh army could just not pull off this time. And that's where you have an infantry unit. One or more can do this action at the end of your movement phase, but you have to be at different objective markers. And Sisters had a hard time killing the giant name demons, but they took care of the infantry very easily. And with the um, Seraphim coming down dropping down and kind of finishing off the small squads because I'm just running small squads of demonettes um, and yeah, bolter fire even from bolt pistols can take those out which was kind of sad for Slanesh and unfortunately that action also says infantry so all of the monsters that are the main Slanesh force um, couldn't do the action anymore so that, that was kind of what the flaw of that army has now shown itself Custodes and Chaos Knights. Uh, this one also was a close battle decided by under 10 points. With Custodes taking the primary and maxing it out, while secondaries were won by the Chaos Knights. And like Stand Vigil, the one where you have to control the middle of the board for the um, Custodes, they did not get for like ever. They finally scored it in the rounds four and five, just because that's when there was finally few enough knights where they could. But it, it, it went to show me that, yeah, custodes can hold their own against the knights, but those first few rounds were really rough where it actually looked like the knights were going to pull it off. But then just as they lost one night, two armagers, one night, that's when things started swinging to the custodes favor. And then the last one for this round was the space wolves versus Yanari. And. The- <laughs> These are probably the two two weakest armies I've put out here, just because I wanted to see what some of the models did. So, like, the Inari have the Storm Guardians, um, which actually do okay. Um, and the Space Wolves have, like I said, the Long Fangs and the a lot of Terminators, because I have a lot of Terminators. I wanted to use them. So, yeah, it it neither squad did well. Um, Yanari tried to, like, retrieve data because they, they had large units, but once those um, Storm Guardians got close to any of the um, Space Wolves, Terminators beat Guardians any day, even Storm Guardians. So, and truthfully, even the Blood Claws and, and Grey Hunters were taking out. So Space Wolves lived up to the reputation of being good at melee. 
Yunari, the biggest thing that was a plus for them was the characters. The three characters were doing work. Also learned that the Farseer and Warlocks can be a tar pit squad because they tar pitted Logan Grimnar for like most of the game where he just couldn't kill them because of their invone saves and him not having too many attacks. And they finally took him out just because of weight of attacks, but it took like four rounds uh, or four whole game rounds. It was like, it was so many combats. It was not funny. Um, so yeah, in the end, that gives the the top armies right now with two wins each would be Custodes, Craft Worlds, and Harlequins. And the th- three that need help in a way would be Drukari have two losses, Yunari have two losses, and the Chaos Knights have two losses. <laughs> so I, I mean, that's kind of surprising, but I mean, Chaos Knights played against Knights first round, and then they played against Custodes, and those are two of the other armies that are kind of built to handle knights. So so since I think we didn't get any listener responses and I do want to keep this rolling, do you guys have any have any suggestions for round three of what you would like to see? You should have armies that haven't played each other play each other. I mean, Good that would, answer, be, yeah, that would be the, the ideal plan. <laughs> Let's see. So we've had... Okay, so you've had... Eldari, we we did Eldari versus Inari, or did we do? No, we did Eldari versus Drukari. We did. You did Eldari, Eldari versus Inari. Yes, those were the first two. So okay. Eldari has not played Harlequins yet. If you went in that one, yeah, I think we. I think you need to have like, you know, the you, you got to have that one to see which of those. So which finish off the book. Supreme. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. I would have. Yeah, have you done Sisters and Space Wolves? No. Okay, I would do. Yeah, I would. Let's see. You've done knights on. You did knights on knights. You've done knights on custodes. Uh, only one. It was um, chaos knights on custodes. So custodes have not okay. faced regular knights. I mean, we could just be really mean and do like custodes against Drukari since they've been doing so well. <laughs> <laughs> if you, if that's what you guys want, I will put it on there. <laughs> I mean, I, that seems like a like a wrestling squash match at this point, but <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm trying to think from the Drukari side the the best way to handle it, and it's probably not in getting close combat. <laughs> chaos, have you have you done Chaos Knights versus Chaos Demons? No, uh, that would be an. I'd like to see that okay. one. I think Chaos yeah. Knights, Chaos Demons, got it. Can can like swarms of Chaos Demons, you know, deal like outscore, and can the big demons like actually like cause cause real hurt on Chaos Knights? Yeah, that'll be interesting because I think they'll be able to cause hurt, but I don't know about real hurt. But the fact that the Chaos Knights won't have the invone saves while the demons will in melee will be an interesting take on it, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So there's three of our matchups. How many more do you need? Uh, let's see what we've got left. We've got Imperial Knights, Custodes, Yanari, and... And Trukari. Andrew Kari, yes. Um, Yunari has not played Drukari, and Custodes have not played Imperial Knights, if you want to do those two. You know, considering that Yunari and Drukari, like, we might as well keep the the uh, Eldari, yeah, Eldari matchup thing going. <laughs> like, they're having their own little sub-tournament <laughs> inside the main turn. Have the Custodes take on both Knights two, two rounds in a row. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
So we have our round three pairings. Um, the other thing I'm going to point out is, oh my gosh, the two, you have to control two, control three, and control more. I hate those. I, I, <laughs> I, I would love to see them go away because it's a lot harder to control two and three than it is just control one or two. Right. Um, also, it's really weird getting the, the ones that have six because I gotten so used to having five um, objective markers when there was suddenly one with six. I'm like, what? What's this? So just, just some other observations I've, I've made that make a difference. Oh yeah. I mean, mission, what mission you end up playing these guys on are just going to make a complete change in the balance of everything. Oh, it does. And then the other thing I'll, I'll note is I've like, like you were talking about your tables, I've set them up US Open style, and I'll probably set this up for like at least the next couple rounds, and then each round is a different setup. But going to like the local game tournament, they had theirs set up a different way. So I don't know, mid rounds, maybe like five, six, seven or something, I might go back to, I don't want to say random tournament placement or terrain placement, but having the placement of the terrain be different than like us open style where it it'll still be balanced but it'll have a different feel to it although i do right. think the us open one is kind of how they're setting up their missions in their um, tournament packets but i know not all tournaments are going to be that way so it might be nice to shake it up especially since i've seen some other new layouts and also some of the new layouts that had like craters and forests that you could actually use rather than just everything kind of being the giant area terrain. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'll get through that and we'll see how it goes and I'll give you all an update next time. Sounds good. And for me, uh, my hobby progress has been pretty much nothing because I was hoping my sister move into a new apartment. So I had... I had moving fun too. <laughs> Good times. Yep. Well, I mean, it's sometimes you just got to help people move. I mean, that's just that is just life right there. Yep. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> and that takes us to the morale phase. Let's see. Um things we've been Actually, the thing that has been taking up a lot of attention in our household, it's actually something I have not been playing, but Dennis, I know you have, and that has been Stray. It's been fun. I, it's been entertaining. I don't know if I'd call it relaxing, because some of those, the, the way you have to escape or actually fight things as you're running is kind of stressful, and also they put the... Um, the music and the mood lighting and they do such a great job. Um, yeah, but strays a, a little, little, I'm calling it a little game because apparently you can beat it in five or six hours. Um, where you play as a stray cat in a future society, they say it's cyberpunk future. Um, so you get kind of lost from your, I guess, pack of cats and you're trying to get back to them. And you're going through these areas and you meet the, I'll say it's not that much of a spoiler, the robot inha inhabitants of the subterranean realm. And you're navigating puzzles to get through sewers and houses and so what, whatnot. And that's kind of what I thought the game would be. Um, 
it also has a deep story that's quite interesting, which um, I won't get into because, well, that's the point of the game. But no, it's 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 been a lot of fun and just something like, like I guess you noted, Rob, I'm in between playing games, so I said, well, let's pick up something else to just kind of tide me over until I start playing the 40k games again and i think this has been a a good distraction even though i still need to finish it i think i'm one chapter away <laughs> yeah yeah so we like we were looking around on um because we, we went ahead and upgraded to like the like the top tier of playstation plus and noticed that it was like one of their free games that they had available in their catalog so we're like oh well i've i've heard a little bit about this and so uh, we'll go ahead and download it, and my partner started playing it just to kind of get a feel for it. And like both my kids were fascinated by like how good the animation is, like because uh, like my older older kid uh, noted that in a lot of games, animal animation is almost just like an afterthought because they're they're always like. Mm-hmm little background pieces so like cats always seem to move very stiffly in a lot of games like they're not well animated this game i mean partially because you are playing a cat but like they've got everything moving properly like um every like everything moves very naturalistically and the cat is actually voiced by a cat <laughs> like the, <laughs> there's a it well you know there's a lot of games where, like animals are voiced by people i'm like i'm like it like it it's surprised when it's not Frank Welker doing the voice of an animal in a cartoon or video game. <laughs> so well, and since you're mentioning voice, I'll toss this out. Um I do have a cat and I'd read online that a lot of people say, Oh yeah, my cat loves this game. I play it and they just sit and watch it. So I thought, well, I'll like get my cat out here, see if she likes um when you're moving around with a pack of cats, they do meow and you even have a button to meow. So the pack would meow and my cat would look at the TV. I would press the button for my cat to meow. And since I'm on the PS5, it came through the PS5's microphone in the controller. And my cat would turn her head like, huh, what's going on over there? Um, so I, I do think it's interesting that, yes, the cats do recognize it actually being cat vocalizations that we are hearing. Although mm-hmm. she didn't end up actually staying interested in the game, she kind of wandered off, and so I just still had to play by myself. <laughs> on the other hand, our dog gets very annoyed at the game because there's meowing on the game. There's some <laughs> something is meowing in the house, and this bothers him to no end. Oh my! That's I mean, funny. but Kaiser's kind of an idiot, so he he is. He's he he's not the the <laughs> sharpest tool in the shed, but. Uh, Oh, so there's actually a uh, to, on the the cats watching stray. There's actually a uh, uh, Twitter uh, account called Cats Watching Stray that is just videos of people that have posted like their cat interacting with the game, and it's adorable. <laughs> uh, you won't see mine up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like my partner started playing, and then like we showed showed our kids, and then my youngest actually wanted to play the game because like, hey. Now, she's 10. I mean, she's not like a little, little kid. She's 10. And it's like, oh, hey, here's a game where you can play as a cat. And she's like, oh, I, I actually really like that because like one of her other favorite games is a game called Cat Tales, which is like a cat RPG on the Switch. And so she, she started playing this game and she has been like obsessing over it for the last week. And she had now this is a kid who like at the age of like three started playing Breath of the Wild on the Wii U. She, 
like Nintendo taught her how to read. Like a lot, a lot of her her train, a lot of her education was paired hand in hand with gaming. So she's comes to it very naturally. She's played through Breath of the Wild multiple times. She knows like how to solve all sorts of puzzles in like shrines and dungeons and stuff like that. So this is like like it fed very nicely to her existing gaming skill set. But yeah, there's a lot of. Like so much of the puzzle solving and everything, she had, but she is now at the very last chapter of the game. She's probably within twenty to thirty minutes of beating it, and she's actually kind of sad because she's like, "Well, that means I'm done with it." But she may go through and play it again because there are things you can unlock in the game that she has not found yet. So she wants to go through and play it and and find the missing things too. But uh, well. Nice thing it's on that is... It's very accessible, though. It does have... You can... If you start a game, you can pick which chapter to start at. So, if you're missing something, you can just go directly to that chapter. Mm-hmm. So, I do appreciate that. She's also been enjoying things like tripping the robots as they're walking around town. Oh, that's just mean. I, I did that <laughs> once, and then I'm like, no, I'm just going to avoid them. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she also... like. Just the the ways you can interact, like there there's this one like robot in a cowboy hat sitting on the bench like outside of a building, and you can nap on on its chest, and then when you do, the robot gets like a heart on its face screen, and that's just like one of those little moments of she just really enjoys that. Also, the fact that when it purrs, the purring doesn't come through the main speakers; it comes through the controller, so you can feel it. Um, there's just and. She's she loves cats, but she's also very allergic to them. So she oh, I know the feeling. Her. Yeah, <laughs> and so this is, but this has been just uh, just a joy for her, both for her. I love animals, and also I love game like adventure games with puzzles. And so it's it's been it's been really good. She's really enjoyed it. I will. I'm playing through control right now so i will not like that. <laughs> the tonal shift will be a bit hard oh, yeah. if i try to, try to switch back and forth between those two but uh but no it's been really cool to see and it's it's just it's fascinating how how the environment uh like the the how the internet has got a got a hold of it and like been fascinated with it and yeah the all like my dad said that he was watching a trailer for the game on youtube on their tv and their cats immediately like took notice because they saw cat movement and heard cat sounds so i think that's the sign of uh, like when you've gotten it right is when animals recognize something as like them on a screen like that's that's a a pretty good accomplishment well, I think that wraps us up for episode 263. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. And remember, we would like to hear from you on what you think about uh, where stratagems are and and how you feel about them and, and what you think might be done about them. Uh, but until then, uh, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and... If something is bothering you balance-wise, feel free to ignore it.
Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2 No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.